I drive for you, you get your money. That's a guarantee. You tell me where we start, where we're going, where we're going afterwards, I give you five minutes when we get there. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything a minute either side of that and you're on your own. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. On the slow-mo, neon-drenched streets of LA, a stunt driver by day and getaway driver by night gets embroiled in a complex web of violent crime to protect the woman he loves. Nicholas Wine and Reffin's cerebral crime drama introduced a new talent to mainstream audiences. Ryan Gosling brought the star power as the silent anti-hero, and a hugely talented supporting cast confirmed Drive's status as a modern classic. My name is Luke, and the real heroes with me are Westy. Now this, that is one fine-ass motherfucking pussy-mobile, motherfucker. Damn! And Matt? Kinda like action films, sexy stuff. One critic called them European. I thought they were shit. All the right movies will give you a two-hour window. Anything happens in that two hours and we're yours, no matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that, and you're on your own. Hello and welcome to All The Right Movies, a 100 mile an hour head stomp and podcast on classic and hit films. Mm. We're behind the wheel of Nicholas Wine and Reffin's drive this week, but there are no clean getaways. No. Before we get into all of that, we're going to tell you about the extra podcast that you can listen to by becoming an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. Yes. What you're listening to is standard ATRM and Patreon is the deluxe version. Very yes, nice. Yeah. <laughs> We've been creating podcasts for a long time now and have amassed a huge well of dynamite podcasts on classic and hit films. The podcast that you're listening to now is our classic podcast, and we do this every two weeks, and only 20 episodes are available on general release. Yep. Mm -hmm. But you can get your hands on them all by signing up to be a patron of ATRM. This is episode 87, so, you know, simple mathematics, it's 67 in our archive. Mm Mm-hmm. And we also produce a brand new podcast every month exclusive to people who support us on Patreon. Mm -hmm. That is our now legendary double feature show. Legendary is is absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. There are other exclusive podcasts that we've created for Patreon over the years. So with the classic archive, the Patreon shows, there are over 120 podcasts that aren't available anywhere else. And that grows every month. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do that every month. (laughs) (laughs) It's more money you'll see in your life. <laughs> Your support on Patreon helps us continue to put these podcasts out and fire on all fronts on social media, YouTube, and our website. So if you could support us, that would be a huge help. And in return, you'll be staring longingly back at us at your speakers or your phone or something at the sound of our voices mm-hmm. talking about your favorite films. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you want to play the drive soundtrack over the top of our podcasts, mm-hmm. well, then that's fine with us. That's absolutely fine with me. Definitely. Yeah. That's perfect. Clue over anything. <laughs> <laughs> we don't go in for the whole overcharging bit either you do get absolute value for money so go to patreon.com forward slash all the right movies to sign up Thanks absolutely yes. yes it all makes sense just go and have a look yeah <laughs> it all makes sense it yeah. all makes sense that what i've just said didn't no but, it does you know, it all it all comes together <laughs> yeah and you see what you get how much you, yeah. oh yeah this is good well, that's a lot yeah it's a lot yeah it is a lot yeah. it is a lot back behind the wheel then fellas westy this one was your pick it was naturally so why do you yes. want to talk about drive well why not i mean it's been on there a fair few times one of them films that i thoroughly love and one of them rare films that i very rarely watch because i don't want to overdo it have you mm. got them 
Yes. Where, like, I yeah, don't yeah. want to get sick of it. Mm-hmm. I just I want to be surprised yeah. every yeah. yeah. I want to be surprised every time I watch it. And this is definitely one of them. And I just walk away mm-hmm. from this thinking, was that an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so much happens in it. It's such a beautiful switch of genre as it goes from a romance to this incredibly violent crime thriller. It's got some really good performances. The soundtrack's fucking amazing. The direction's really self-assured. The cinematography's unreal. The action sequences are great. It's it's really, really surprising film. It subverts expectations left, right, and center. And it's right up there for me at this time, around 2011. I needed a film like this to come out, mm. which had this kind of sensibility. Constantly surprised by it. Yeah. Constantly, constantly love it. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film, and I'm very, very excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, I'm sure we all do remember the film coming out. I remember that, and I remember the hype that it got, mm. which generally tends to put me off a film. I don't know why, but my brain pushes against that. I think I've mentioned well, I'm, it I'm exactly the same. Yeah. If anything's overhyped at the time, I have to wait. I mean, I'm just getting into the white stripes. <laughs> Every time with the white stripes. Every joke. time. <laughs> I remember you pulled that about three episodes ago. Exactly. 13. <laughs> See, if you sign up for Patreon, you get all this crack. When's the first time you did that? <laughs> like last week. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> And on the surface, this film seemed a little too artsy-fartsy, really, for my taste. Yeah, for your taste, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I did get around to watching it pretty soon after it came out, and I really enjoyed it, but I hadn't seen it since until revisiting it for this episode. Okay. And right. I was pleasantly surprised how well it's held up and how well it's endured. Mm. Yeah. I was really captivated by the mood and the feel of the film. Mm-hmm. The long silences should really be a put-off for me, but I was hanging on every word, of mm-hmm. which there are few, mm. and every scene. And I think it's it's a magnificent film. It's one of those films that we talk about on the show that I wasn't too familiar coming into it. Mm. And then I go away with something that I absolutely have fallen in love with. Yeah. And of course, Gosling, you can't go wrong. No. No. And Matt, mm. what about Drive for You? It's just really cool. That's why. <laughs> it's yep, sure a is. great film, great one to get into, a filmmaker we've not tackled before. Probably, in all honesty, not likely to tackle again after this. I wouldn't have thought. Unfortunately, definitely not. I definitely could. Oh, Westy, Westy. you'd be on your own. That'd be a one-man show. It is. It is. a album from Westy. That's Wings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think you take an edgy European director trying to make a crossover American thriller, you're guaranteed to get interesting results in something really different. And that's what you do get. We all love Goslin. We've not talked about him in any real detail yet. And the whole no, film does up. have this vibe to it that means even though you look at it on the surface, you think, am I going to get many surprises in the narrative? I've not seen this kind of before. It still has something to it that does mm-hmm. entice you back and does take you very much into that world again. Very much. Okay. Drive was written by Hossein Amini, directed by Nicholas Weiner Reffin for Mark Platt Productions and Bold Films and distributed by Film District. Shot on location in LA and released on the 16th of September 2011, it stars Ryan Gosling as the driver, Kerry Mulligan as his neighbour and love interest Irene, and it has a wealth of talent in the sport cast, including Albert Brooks, Oscar Isaac, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks and Ron Perlman. Mm. First up, we're headed to the LA streets for a perfectly executed getaway. Strap in, fellas. Oh, here we go. Satan's soundtrack introduces us to the world of our unnamed protagonist, Plotner Job. Westy, take it away. I mean, 
the way this opens is just so cool. Yeah. It's so slow. It's so <laughs> it's so confident, isn't it? Oh, it's just delicious. I it love it. Delicious. I absolutely love it. I could just watch just this scene, I think, over and over again. But it's the use of mise-en-scene here and the use of it's how good it is, visual storytelling. Yeah. doesn't explain anything on the phone. He just basically, he's got a five-minute window. You don't know where he's going. You don't know what he's doing. No. But he's got a map of downtown LA. He's got the game on the TV. He mm-hmm. knows exactly how long's left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So meticulous and so measured. Throws the burner on the bed. Doesn't need that anymore. You're not going to hear from me on this phone. Yeah. Bang, done. Bag, out of there. It's just great the way that it's all set up. And that skyline as he's looking out over it, it's really mysterious. It just really pulls you in and nothing is really happening. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. great. It's great use of just a track, a great use of just moving around the room and an introduction to a character that absolutely sucks you in. And you kind of just think, well, how slow is this film going to be? Where's where's it going to go from here? Who is this guy? And it's very 70s. It's very like Le Samurai even. It goes Mm. right back to that kind of introduction to a character Mm -hmm. where it's just this mystery. I just absolutely just wanted to stand up in the cinema and applaud when I first saw it. And I still do, (laughs) to be honest. It's just a wonderful introduction to the character. It is, yeah. I mean, we know this guy's in complete control. He ain't in no rush at all. We sauntering through that garage to get to his Chevy Impala. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that slow tracking shot, that matches that as well. I just love that. Yeah, I would, yeah I'd, I'd be bumbling all over the place. I would have like, <laughs> my phone wouldn't have enough battery in it. I'd be like, oh, what time is it? Is the game on already? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd be all over the place. But it's just, it's, it's how meticulous this is without being pretentious. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I'll say about this film. It should be really pretentious. And it's not. It's yeah. super cool and super accessible, which is a very, very rare balancing act pulled off by Reppin, I think. Very much, mm. yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that yeah. as our conversation goes on. Uh, yeah, consistently, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, what about you in this opening sequence? It's the getaway for me, because that getaway, it's like a chess game. Yeah. Because you've obviously got a sense of speed in there, but cutting underneath all of that is how he's thinking strategically to get them out of there. Mm. I yeah, absolutely amazing. love that bit where he sees the cop cars at the junction, so he just pulls in behind the, the parked truck and knocks the lights off. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. wait. You're not focused on the speedometer no, ever. No, you you're never not. know how no, fast no, he's no. going. It's ever. not about speed, is it? Nah. No, no. It's about precision. I think that's the whole mm-hmm. film. Yeah, it is. And it's also all about what the other person is doing. So when he's watching the helicopter try to pick out the right car and he's yeah. listening to the police broadcast at the same time, and only then does he accelerate and draw attention to yeah. himself. Perfectly timed. Yeah. So he's one step ahead at all times. And it's not about taking dangerous risks or driving faster than anyone else. This to me is why it does have this feel of strategy to it. It's about holding your nerve. So when the driver's at the red light and the cop car's at the opposite side and he knows he's being clocked, that to me, it's like when you watch two gunslingers in a Western waiting, oh, nice. waiting for them to like draw first and for yeah, it all to lovely. kick off. I want to pick up on a word Wesley said because I've got in my notes as well. It's meticulous, you know, yeah. tying his watch around the, the steering wheel so he doesn't get distracted by having a look at his wrist instead. Yeah. It's just yeah. there. It's that. Yeah those like nth degree differences to the job that he does. And it's one of those lovely things where the meticulous nature of the character mirrors the meticulous nature of the film itself. Like everything is so precise. The fact that mm-hmm. in this whole sequence, you're either in the car or you're seeing it from the POV of being in the car. You don't do the cliche thing of switching to a shot of the car itself, dodging around traffic, accelerating yeah, yeah. away. It just gets, you know, the headspace of the character and, and the feel of the film at the same time. Revan said that he wanted this scene to feel, or this moment in this scene to feel like a diver in an ocean of sharks. I think you get that very few places to hide, only seconds of safety available. Mm -hmm. And like you two fellas, 
I also have the word meticulous in, in my notes. I mean, is this the first one where we've all used it? I it's think it might be. It has to be. Yeah. It's ridiculously meticulous. It <laughs> I do love all the little moving pieces that lead up to this point. He has been so in control. The opening scene in his apartment, it's halftime, like you said, between the Clippers and the Knicks, Westy. Yeah. He's got another half of the game to go to get at the Staples Center. It may not have been his plan all along, but we know that he knows the LA streets like the back of his hand on account of that phone call and the map on mm-hmm. his table. Yeah. And the game is playing all the way through this opening scene, so he's keeping tabs on it through the second half. And they say on the commentary when he gets made at the lights, mm-hmm. like that gunslinger bit that you said, mm-hmm. Matt, there's less than a minute to play at the game. Mm-hmm. And he takes note of that. You can see he turns the, the volume up and he yeah, takes he note of yeah, that. Yeah. And that's his get out. Yeah. That's, that's why he's going to make yeah. his play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, boom. Because there's a minute left. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. passed the cup car into the stadium like a pro. Mm. Amazing yeah. stuff. Mm. And it's all about time. The song in the scene called Tick of the Clock. His mm. wristwatch, obviously on the wheel that you mentioned, Matt. Mm. There's a countdown on the radio. The driver knows that time is everything. And that's how he can do what he does. And what I love is that he just leaves the two guys to fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. That's it, five minutes. Yeah. Five Good. minutes. Yeah. He's given them five minutes. He's kept up his end, and it's yeah. executed perfectly. Cap on, jacket inside out, yeah. over the shoulder. Magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just walks oh, past fantastic. the cops. Yeah, yeah, he does. Brilliant. He stops for them as well. Yeah. yeah. He stops <laughs> and kind of lets them pass. It's so fucking good, Great. that man. Perfect setup for the character. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. Following this scene, we see the driver at both lines of his work. He meets his next-door neighbour and gets further acquainted with her when he fixes her car. In our next sequence, we're looking deeper into that burgeoning relationship between the driver and Irene and the shady quarters he operates in. Westy, chopsticks and a fortune cookie for you. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the introduction of Bernie here, the introduction of Shannon, the introduction yeah. of Nino. It's all fantastic, these three coming together. It's so funny. Mm. And it's got this real playful tone, but at the same time, I don't want to be in there. I don't want to have anything to <laughs> so do with these threat. people. There mm. isn't there. It's yeah. just, it's violent and it's racist and nobody likes each other. Yeah. And everyone's trying to get one up on each other. And he's like, what? put out the fucking cigarette. I'm eating mm. over. And he's like, oh, he's just so nervous. He's just, mm-hmm. He just doesn't even know what he's doing. And you have this bumbling from Shannon and he's just trying to set this up. And when he asks for like, it's a 400K, isn't it? He asks for yeah. it and he just goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like children negotiating yeah, over four, 400 grand. Yeah. And they're just lovely back and forth. And you can just see this tension building between it all. And you kind of, you know, these are the bad guys. And the first time I've saw this, and everyone that I watch it with who's seen it for the first time is expecting some kind of Days of Thunder ending where he's the driver <laughs> yeah. and mm-hmm. he's going to fuck this guy over and he's going to buy the race car. And it's such a red heron where it leads you into the film and you think, well, that's where it's going then. And mm-hmm. it goes somewhere completely different. And Bernie's just one of the best characters Brooks has played for me. Oh, without doubt. I think he's so funny and so dry and so terrifying. Mm -hmm. I've seen Brooks funny and dry, but I don't think I've ever seen him this terrifying. No, no. And I also find Perlman hilarious in this. Giant face, Perlman, Massive face, massive teeth, massive personality, (laughs) massive booming vocals. Just too much. And he's like, "Uh, why don't you take take a fucking hike? I want to talk to my partner. He's like, I'm only fucking with your shirt and has a fucking leg. What a prick. Oh, It's that pause, isn't it? We don't know at this time, but yeah. he's responsible later, for later it. we find out yeah. he's responsible for shattering what? his pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of school bullies. And I guess yeah. the, the kid who wants to be in with the bullies is trying mm-hmm. to be in with them and he's trying to be taken seriously and he isn't. I like that Shannon calls Bernie Mr. Rose. Mm. Just lets you know the hierarchy immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cranston here, I mean, I love him in this. And he was hot from the success of Breaking Bad at the time. So he wasn't right, sure yeah. to move the offers. 
And he wasn't really sure if Shannon was the right part for him. So to decide, he'd started writing a list of pros and cons about the part. And literally, mm. as he was doing that, he happened to get a follow-up call from Reffin. So he took that as a sign and said yes over the phone. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fate. Yeah. It's quite a left-field move for him, isn't it? Because, you mm. know, big props, he could have chosen any brainless blockbuster. But yep. to take this small part in this small film by this yeah. weird European director. Yeah. I'm going over the sequence when the driver takes Irene and Benicio out on a little drive. Because oh, I just think, it's where, a beautiful thing. where does this scene come from? Greece, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to mention that, yeah, obviously. Yeah, of course you yeah. are. As these outbursts of ultraviolence, and then you get this incredibly romantic and beautiful scene. It's like I'm watching The yeah. Notebook or something with Goblin in there. Hello. <laughs> like the, the dappled sunshine bouncing off the river, just hanging out with, with this little family, you know, driving up the side of the flood canal. Yes, like Greece. Obviously taken from there. <laughs> yeah, like, Thunder Road. Thunder Road. It's just like this genuinely really lovely day out for everyone. But, you know, the music's a, a bit ambiguous, though. Is it saying he's a real human and a real hero? I think they could, you know, maybe get that across a bit uh, firmer. <laughs> Not sure what the message is in that song. Is that what you're saying, is it? Not entirely sure about what's happening there. No, no. <laughs> what's the message? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think just the way in general it plays out, it's almost like some cheesy meat cute. Like, the driver, he's so, uh -huh. like, he's almost bumbling at the garage. He's so, like, bashful around there. Yeah, And I is. love Shannon. He, like, doing all the prompting. He's doing all the matchmaking. And the yeah. driver's like, mm -hmm. uh, I don't have wheels on my car. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, if you've got five minutes, I'll be like, if you've got three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, I need to tell you this to Halfords. I'm absolutely fucked. <laughs> I think quick fit is shut. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but so yeah i love that slight awkwardness stuff but that just melts away and you can see how relaxed he becomes around her and you can see this is that instant connection which is pretty much done without dialogue it's it's in the visuals it's in the music it's in the body language they have around each other and mm. to end on that slow-mo shot of him walking down the corridor with like benicio sleep slung over his shoulder wearing his jacket and irene's just smiling herself like oh yeah who isn't in love with Ryan Gosling at this point? I know. Like, I I'm absolutely am. I'm just in love with the am. whole scene. I'm yeah. in love with everybody at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm in love with love at this point. It is, though, isn't it? It's just a yeah. lovely day out for everyone. Is, like, is it cheesy at all? Is it fuck? No. How? No, it's yeah. not. How is it no, not? not? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know how I don't know how this scene exists in this film. Yeah. And yet it does. I mean, I absolutely I'm in love with Ellie in this film, in this yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Locations as important to the film as any cast or, or the writing or anything like that. Well, it's a character in itself, isn't it? Obviously, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And it reminds me very much of the Elliot that we see in Nightcrawler. Yeah, and Heat. But that's kind of fast-moving and kinetic. And yeah. here it's kind of dizzying and balletic mm -hmm. and mm. wonderful. And just take this section when they're out for this drive, playing Happy Families. The location, that dried-up Elliot River that mm. we see in Greece. We've seen it a thousand times mm. in movies, but it's yeah. so cinematic here. Yeah. And it's not a place like in real life that you want to get caught alone. <laughs> but Reffin makes it just look idyllic. He does. And I think it's reflected yeah. in that green leafy landscape that they end up mm. in. This sanctuary amid the pollution and grime of the city, the sun reflecting off the water, it looks beautiful. And there's something dreamlike about it. I think the driver's playing nice with Irene and Benicio, but we know this isn't reality for him. Mm. It feels like the end of some other film with the three of them driving away mm. into the sun-drenched distance. Yeah. It should, like you said, it feels out of place. But I think locations are so important, and none more so than this scene for me here, because it's the life the driver catches a glimpse of with Irene. But with that scorpion jacket, it's the life you just will never have. Mm. You yeah. could never have. He's always going to get pulled in. 
I think that's why he's got that line, do you want to see something? And I think mm-hmm. it's him showing her who he wants to be as opposed yeah, to nice. showing them uh-huh. anything at all because yeah. everything's just, it's cliched and it's generic. It's mm-hmm. a tiny little stream. I could show you that around the corner from mine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got a beck around the corner. <laughs> yeah, I just want to just go to the burn. <laughs> it wouldn't be anywhere near as good, but I think that's what he's saying. Was, do you want to see something? Do you want a glimpse of like who I really want to be? Who I would like to mm-hmm. be. And I think that's what he's saying to the audience as opposed to her. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's, very nice. it's beautifully measured. Mm-hmm. So two great sequences in the opening, one of the best opening scenes this century, and a beautiful romance doomed from the beginning. Mm. Absolutely. The director. A director that we haven't talked about on any of our podcasts before. It's nice to get a new face into the mould. Mm-hmm. From Copenhagen, Nicholas Winding Refn is the man in the drive hot seat, Matt. Mm-hmm. What do you think of his work on drive? I think his work here, what he does is... He's made a film that's really difficult to know how to classify it. Like, on the face mm. of it, it's a thriller. But there's not really any scenes that I would say grip in a way that a thriller usually does, and I don't mean that as a criticism. It's mm-hmm. like the escape at the beginning. It's not like you would get that in a Jason Bourne film or like what Ed Wright would do with Baby Drive a few years after, which are much more straightforward and which yeah, more yeah. like slam, bam, 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 zoom, all that stuff. <laughs> bam bam slang bam zoom Matt's review of Baby Driver yeah. oh, well, that's <laughs> all you need if you ever cover it 10 seconds Four done five. <laughs> yeah. there we go whiz bang zoom bang yeah <laughs> and then you get the escape from the pawn shop and that's like the most straightforward action sequence in the film Yeah, it is. and it's probably the most boring sequence in the film by mm. the rest of the film standards yeah yeah is it? I would <laughs> say so compared is to everything it reverse else it's for fucking half of it <laughs> yeah, well, it's not that I dislike it, it's just compared to everything else. It's it's everything else. Yeah. And then also you get elements of film and war in here. So you got the tough guy hero who's sensitive on the inside but doesn't say much, but strong silent type. Yeah, yeah, strong. But then again, how many film noirs have like electro pop soundtracks like this? None. <laughs> and no. you know the scene we've just talked about where he takes Irene and Benicio, it has this like lush romanticism to it. But then you can watch it and sometimes it feels like I'm watching a western. You know, the driver literally is the man with no name. Like yeah, Clint Eastwood yeah. and Clint Eastwood in those films, he had his poncho, the driver has his jacket. Eastwood always had a cheroot in his mouth. The driver's got a toothpick. Yeah. And, yeah. and the whole plot line about driver coming to the aid of a widower and a young boy to protect them, that's classic Western tropes, like it particularly is, yeah. Shane, which I'm going to talk about later yeah. on. Protect the about yeah. Yeah. yeah, They talk about the mobs, there's gangster influences in there as well. But then you get these explosions of violence where it becomes like a horror film. Like I think the whole sequence where he dons the the like fire guard mask to track down Nemo the and then drown him on the beach. That's mm-hmm. slasher territory, that with the imagery it is, yeah. with oh, yeah. the mask Great. on. Yeah. It's so, like it follows. It's like the it start is. of it follows. It is. <laughs> really is. Yeah. Really, There's really Nino is. in a fucking pile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has a fucking leg. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Drive Refn brings all these like lashings of style to it, but it's all wrapped around this film that he just doesn't give an easy categorization to. Mm-hmm. And that is something that could go so badly wrong. You'd be like, what is he trying to do here? I don't know what he's doing, but yeah. he's pulled it off. He certainly has. Yeah. And one of the genres that you mentioned there, Matt, I am I'm very much struck by the romance in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, I mean, it may well be. The most romantic film that we've covered. Says a lot Possibly. about us, so to be fair, doesn't it? <laughs> More than the film, yes. I would say. 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's pure cinematic language from Refn, and we're going to get this all the way through this episode. Mm. You've mentioned it already, Westy. Mm-hmm. We know that there's sparse dialogue, obviously. There's less dialogue in this film than, than any I can think of. But the looks and the mood and the framing of these two characters says everything that you need to know. They don't utter one word to make their feelings clear to each other, mm-hmm. about each other, mm-hmm. or to us as an audience, but I'm more bought into this relationship than than most in cinema because Refn completely draws you in. It's those looks and those slow lingering pushes into faces with the camera. Mm-hmm. It dragged me personally, drags me completely in. And I think also that has something to do with the fact that we know that this is a doomed relationship from the start. Mm. The unsettling tone, the circumstances surrounding Irene's husband, the shady dealings that the driver is up to, but I am desperate for them to make it through and live happily ever after. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I think that's credit to the actors. But Refn makes a cerebral film about LA and crime and driving, also a deeply affecting love story, which I don't know how he's done that. (laughs) No, I I have no idea. I'm still baffled by that. No No idea. (laughs) You can tell that the driver has never experienced these kind of emotions in his life. He's probably never let anybody into his life emotionally like this. Mm. But he and Irene just connect on an emotional level, a spiritual level, and the kid feeds into that as well. Mm. Yeah, he does. The driver looks so content in their company, just with a big smile on his face. He only smiles when he's in their company. Yeah. And he talks much more than he does in any other company. Yeah, about cartoon sharks. Cartoon sharks, yeah, Yeah, he's the bad (laughs) guy. He's a shark. (laughs) There are no good sharks brilliant all of that that i've said there i get all of that from no dialogue mm-hmm. how, how's he done it this is my interpretation but Refn has painted that picture for me with these lingering slow images mm. and that's cinema at its core isn't it it's a visual language yeah, mm-hmm. it is. as mm-hmm. it was from the start yeah so i think a really strong imprint from wine and Refn here for me with his directional style and the way that he's framed these two characters and their romance it's it's wonderful stuff yeah, yeah. westy what about you and Refn on the film I adore how visual he is and how little he cares what other people think and how that always seems so personal. And mm-hmm. I think what I get from him is this incredible mix of what is perceived to be masculine in cinema and what is perceived to be feminine and how he mixes the two together. I mean, the okay. driver for me is a very effeminate character. Mm. Doesn't seem very masculine until he has to be very softly spoken, very much like, I'm not saying this is a definitive review of what masculinity is and what femininity is at all. <laughs> I'm saying that's how it's been portrayed in cinema in the past yeah, and yeah. how he subverts that expectation into something completely different. And if he has to be masculine, he regrets it. He has to be violent to be masculine. And that's not necessarily that trait. I think when he says, do you want to see something? It's him stripping back that masculinity and showing something that's that's a lot more open and has yeah, yeah. a lot more of a feminine appeal to it. There's no violence there. There's no aggression there. And that's what cinema has been like. He's the man. Like Matt said, if it's a cowboy film, he's the violence. Mm-hmm. She's the homestead. And I honestly think that's why it works because it's refreshing and it's very European and it has been done before, but you need to really seek it out. And it's ballsy, mm-hmm. and I'm so pleased this came out and disappointed a lot of people because they were expecting <laughs> the Fast and the Furious 9 or whatever the fuck was coming yeah, out at yeah. that point. I totally, totally get his output, and I'm so pleased he's, he's doing it. I am so pleased. I mean, if there was ever a director who I would say, without knowing Westy, mm-hmm. that you would like, mm-hmm. it would be this director yeah. and his body of work. Yeah, absolutely. This is straight up your alley. It is, absolutely. My neon-drenched, rain-soaked alley. <laughs> <laughs> Very slow tracking up there. There's a synth. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah. What could we find up there, though? That's, right. that's the worrying thing. You'll never know. 
<laughs> Joy. Nice little bit of garden. <laughs> little stream. The perfect mix of masculine and feminine. <laughs> That's what we'll find up there. Interpret that how you will. Yes, I'm going to move will. on. The Garden of Eden. Yeah. We mentioned Patreon at the top, and another benefit if you sign up is that you get the opportunity to ask us a question for the films that we're covering. We have our first of the show here right now, mm-hmm. and this one comes from Troy Gilbert. Nice to hear from you, Troy. How are you doing? Hello, Troy. Hello, Troy. Troy says, do you think the film's style alone is enough to make it a classic? Westy, why don't you take that? <laughs> Definitely asking the wrong person here, isn't he? <laughs> um, absolutely. Style over substance is something I've enjoyed since I've enjoyed film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, substance over style is, to me, quite laborious and quite obviously cliched and a little bit disappointing, whereas I'd like to see style inserted with substance, which I think Tarantino's your main boy for that, Scorsese's your main boy for that. But it's how much they're influenced by style that makes the storytelling so unique. And I think the style and drive is influenced by so many classic films that it's hard to pin down exactly which one he's trying to reference at which point. It's, yeah. It is very Tarantino in that way. What he doesn't take from them is the cliche. What he does take from them is the style. If you find a perfect mix of styles and do them right, and if you really believe in what you're putting on the screen, absolutely 100%, it's enough to make it a classic. Okay. And Luke disagrees. (laughs) (laughs) Here we fucking go, man, yes. We we do come to this kind of thing, Westy. We meet in the middle on a lot of things, but we do do come to this kind of thing from a different point of view. Yes, definitely. In general, I don't think style's enough to make a film a classic. I love a film with a beaten heart, and that often comes from dialogue for me. But every so often, something comes along and rips up your own rule book, Mm -hmm. and that for me was drive. Great. But this film, it's not just about style. Mm. I think it's a criticism that does get leveled at the film a lot. A lot of the Twitter comments when we were asking for a rating for it mentioned that style over substance. Mm. But I disagree. I think it's got three-dimensional characters. Mm. The plot isn't Rashomon, but it's got twists and it got turns that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what I was saying a few moments ago. Actors could easily just read out reams and reams of dialogue, lines and lines of dialogue to tell you how they feel. But it's much harder to show just reactions and gestures. And it's the old adage of show, don't tell. Acting is reacting. And I think that's what Drive is all about. Refn, Goslin, Mulligan pull that off very, very well. I do think that Drive stands head and shoulders above most that's been released since, and not just on account of its, its style, which I'll concede mm-hmm. it does have a shitload of. Mm, yeah. But there's more to it than that. There's a depth in the whole filmmaking process here, I think, and you can see that on screen yeah. if you just peel back a few layers. There's when he's talking to her and she gives him a glass of water and he's reflected in silhouette, you know, with Standard and Benicio in the frame and she's on yeah, the other side yeah. of it and that's the family unit and he's this, like, mysterious figure. And it's just that one frame. You yeah. don't even need dialogue. You go, there you go. Yeah, no, you don't. And yeah. that's style. Yeah. Yeah, it is style, yeah. but it is also, it's telling you a story. Yeah, but it's the it style is. that tells you the story. Yeah, but often that doesn't necessarily add up. No, no. Often if it, you've got it, style, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got substance. Yeah, I think you need confidence with style. Yeah, you do, yeah. Matt, yeah. what about you? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think this question's a good one, isn't it? Because it doesn't just apply to drive, does it? You could ask it as a no, general no, question, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which is kind of where I came from, to be honest. And I think, no, I don't think style is ever enough in general. I think style is what gets you to take notice first time around. But mm-hmm. for repeat viewings, I think you do need more than that because I think you could take something like Alien 3 and genuinely say, well, that's got some style to it. It's got incredible production design. Some amazing mm-hmm. camera work, 
Finch makes yeah. it looks great, but everything else is missing. You know, characters, <laughs> yeah. interesting narrative, story choices that work. So you wouldn't come back to that just because it looks good. And sometimes no. style can override everything else to the detriment where it becomes distracting. You know, I'm a fan of Wes Anderson, but when he's at his worst and at his most self-indulgent, it's and I've seen Asteroid City now, his stylus <laughs> is irritating. It's like, yeah. just stop it. Like... Yeah, just, just stop, to stop, it, to stop making things look straight. Yeah, it's, with it's, primary colours, it, it's frustrating that film. Yeah, yeah, and I think the only time you can say style is enough is if it's genuinely broken new ground with that style. And I think okay. f- for that, yeah. I think you really have to go back in history. So really, something like the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, which is the definitive mm-hmm. German expressionist film. And that yeah, is yeah, all style, yeah. but because there'd been nothing like that before, because obviously we're yeah. talking mm-hmm. the 1920s, that has to be seen as a classic. So in general, no, style isn't enough to make a film classic for me. But to bring it back to Drive, I do think Drive has got substance to go with that style, though. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we all agree with that. Great question, yeah, though, Yeah, it Troy. is a great question. We could be here all day. Blade Runner, anyone? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus, heaps of style, yeah. but there's so much under the surface. yeah. yeah. By this point in his career, Reffin had a number of films under his belt. He's from Denmark and he made the Violent Pusher trilogy in his homeland. Mm-hmm. Great. He moved to English language films with Bronson and Valhalla Rise and before his first foray into Hollywood. He went to LA originally because he was lining up to direct Harrison Ford in a film, Dying of the Light. It was written by Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. Right. I hadn't heard of it either. No. Reffin was particularly interested in that project because Ford's character dies in the film and he wanted to be the director that killed Harrison Ford. (laughs) He was very happy about that. But in the end, Ford was replaced by Nick Cage and Reffin was replaced by Paul Schrader himself. Right, yeah, yeah. But while he was there in LA, he got a call from Ryan Gosling who wanted to arrange a meeting. And at the time, Gosling's like star was on the rise because of the likes of Half Nelson and the Notebooks or... Yeah. You know, Half Nelson's is really gritty drug drama, the notebooks, his big romance. So he could show he could do everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he, he took the lead role in a universal production and they had the idea, and Wesley's kind of mentioned it already, but they did want to make a big budget racing film to rival the Fast and Furious franchise. That's what right. they initially wanted Gosling to do. And because he had so much credit in the bank at that time, they gave him the privilege of choosing the director. And so he approached Reffing because he'd loved all those films you've mentioned, Luke. Just like Westy? Yeah, yeah, I would have done the same. <laughs> <laughs> Gosselin and Reffin met for lunch, which started out as a disjointed meeting for creative minds. Reffin was ill with the flu and was really not into it at all, and Gosselin mm. thought he, was, he wasn't he was interested in the pitch. So his interest in the director slowly evaporated. Ironically, Reffin didn't drive. Did his, mm. he, like, did his test eight times and failed yeah, yeah, eight times? Yeah, I read times? that eight <laughs> times, and he failed it eight times. <laughs> yeah. So after the meeting, he asked if Gosselin could drive him to his hotel in Santa Monica. So Gotham was put out, but ended up taking the hour out of his time to drive Reffin back to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the car ride was as painful as the meeting by all accounts. <laughs> right, fair enough. No conversation coming from Reffin at all. So Goslin thought to punctuate the unease with a little bit of music. So he slipped the radio on. Yeah. And what was playing was REO Speedwagons, Can't Fight This Feeling. Oh, nice. We all know it. Yeah, yeah. We all know it. M-O-R yeah. classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's R-E-O Speedwagon. Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Little Alan Bartridge for the, everyone. The greatest stadium band of all time. <laughs> but as soon as he heard this song, Reffin changed on a dime. He was hopped up on flu medication and he started singing and crying, oddly enough. Amazing. He was a long way from home. Yeah. 
And he turned around to Coslin and said, we're going to make a movie about a man who drives around in a car listening to pop music because that's his emotional release. And right. Coslin turned around and said, I'm in. Yes. That's all <laughs> Come you need. on. And you got a scorpion on your back. Fucking yes, man. <laughs> in that moment when it was a universal production, when it was going to be a big budget car racing actioner, mm. the mm-hmm. original director attached to it was our very own Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall, oh, yeah. Wow. With Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yeah, he was yeah. hot off the back of the descent. It would have been with Hugh Jackman. Jackman left to do Real Steel, and Marshall followed, and it languished at Universal for a while before right. this fateful car ride. But a very different film, that. Yeah. That is a totally different film. Very Marshall. different. Yeah. 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 I still think this one could have been made even if they made that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah easily. <laughs> and Raffin took inspiration from a few sources for Drive, so... The overarching theme he saw in fairy tales from the likes of the Brothers Grimm, and he said, like a Grimm's fairy tale, it had to be extremely pure in the beginning, but then it had Mm. to be very dark and moralistic at the end. One part needed the other part to justify the circle. You have the driver who's like a knight, the innocent maiden, the evil king and the dragon, they're all archetypes. Yes, they are, yeah. Mm. He banged on about uh, the Brothers Grimm and fairy tales, like that all the way through, kind of like the press junkets and can and stuff like that. He wouldn't stop going on about it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the work of Mexican director Alejandro Jodorowsky was a big influence as well, specifically his experimental 1970 film El Topo. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, from an unusual source, the hot pink of the titles was inspired by the titles of Risky Business. Risky Business, yeah. <laughs> Should have been yellow. <laughs> Only Every time. And staying on the 80s tip, Reffin loved the work of John Hughes. I mean, who doesn't? If yeah. you'd like to check out the parent episode yeah. we've just done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and the romance at the heart of 16 Candles worked its way as an influence. So Reference said, the thing is, you can't talk about love. You can only feel love. And I think he nails oh. that. He definitely does. Mm. Goslin said, we both agree that if 16 Candles had a head smashing, it would be a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> and Reffin then allowed the actors to play around with the characters that he'd given them. So the script... That was being stripped back on a daily basis, basically. So there wasn't much more than yeah. a skeleton structure to work from. But this mm-hmm. allowed the actors to develop the characters as they saw fit. So he would ask Oscar Isaac things like, if the scene could be anything, what would it be? And he asked each mm-hmm. cast member to come up with ideas for their character. Yeah, it feels like a really organic process, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And everybody's chipping in. He's not kind of like the the omnipotent director that you would maybe anticipate. No. And Brian Cranston decided to make Shannon a motormouth to contrast the driver's laconic style, which I think you can tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosling was happy to have limited dialogue because he'd just finished Blue Valentine and said that he was tired of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Fucking get on with it, man. <laughs> oh, shit, we've missed a trick here. We should just have silence for two hours we in should, this show. Yeah. We'll just go back on YouTube and just stare at the camera as it slowly pushes in. <laughs> It was very much a family affair during production. The cast and crew, they all stayed at Reference House and he worked on the script with Amini. He had an edit and suite set up there and he edited with Matt Newman on a night after a film had wrapped on the day. Mm. So they would go back home, watch movies, listen to music and go out for drives, life imitating art. Mm. Ryan Gosling said that Perlman and Brooks would sit outside smoking cigars and just joke around. Oh, <laughs> what a wonderful of- setup. I know. <laughs> Reffin obviously wasn't familiar with LA and he picked out locations with Amini and Goslin on night drives in the city. Nice. They did say that they felt as if they were living the plot and narrative of the film as they mm. were doing that. Yeah. yeah. So Reffin took an audience's unawares by breathing new life into a well-worn genre with his dizzying European aesthetic. Definitely. The cast. 
a big cast on drive, an important cast and a lot to talk about. And we've picked out the main players in this section. Westy, it's over to you again. Obviously, we know who you're going for. Obviously, my pick, my shout, my choice, my man, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I, I think he's just wonderful in this. It, it's just, he really, really stands out as a, as a real talent. And one that we hadn't seen for a long time. A real Hollywood talent. Yeah. In that he didn't want dialogue. He didn't need dialogue. There's such a depth to the character where it's quite rare that you get this. You don't need the backstory. Mm-hmm. And no, more you importantly, don't you, don't, you don't want it. No. <laughs> is there anything he isn't capable of? Do you know what I mean? He's like yeah. he's, he's a father figure. He could be a husband figure. He could be an absolute fucking maniac. He could smack anybody in. He can drive like a son of a bitch. He's everywhere and everything, but really humble with it and really laid back with it. Mm. As despicable as he is, yes, he pulls it off. It's a it's a it's a brave role for him to take, and I think he really really nails it on every level. I think there's not a scene where I don't find him absolutely totally engaging. Denim jacket, his outfit, his boots. <laughs> he's just, and he doesn't have to do anything else. Like he's not sitting there smoking or he's not doing anything where it's like, oh, well, that is going to make us cooler. He's, he's mm-hmm. literally so clean cut. It's just one of the best things I've ever seen as like a character, just the way that everything just merges together, no matter what he's wearing, no matter what he's doing. It works on the screen 100%. Yeah, he's great. But there can't be unspoken anymore. The jacket, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. right. What I don't quite understand, that outrageous jacket. Yeah. It's never called into question by Irene or anyone else. <laughs> uh, Irene doesn't say, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going out with you wearing that. <laughs> but neither does the audience either. <laughs> it's it, unbelievable. But it he, is. He pulls it off. It, he does. Mm-hmm. Magnificently well. Mm-hmm. The jacket itself was inspired by the stage costume of the band Kiss. Yes. That Reffin loved. Yeah. Yeah. He said that the jacket was like a suit of armor and that the scorpion evokes that kind of protection. But mm. surely it fits into the frog and frog scorpion, and scorpion fable that yeah. he yeah. references at the end. Yeah. I think at his heart, the driver is a, a decent man, but his shady dealings will inevitably catch up with him. He's been marked for death since the start with that scorpion. The mob are on his back and it's only a matter of time until he gets stung, which I think... Does make the fact that he seemingly survives. I know it's ambiguous, mm. but he seemingly oh, survives we'll, we'll at the get end. There. We'll get mm. there. I think that feels, if that is the case, a little thematically disjointed for me. Okay. If he does survive. Mm. But we can talk about that later. Yeah. Obviously, there were stunt drivers for a lot of the shots. I mean, there had to be, but Gosling did yeah. a number of his own stunts, which is really surprising. He took a crash course in driving stunts to get up to speed. He's not car crazy. But he was given the choice of what car he wanted for the film, and he ended up with a 73 Chevy Malibu from a scrapyard, and he restored it all himself. <laughs> I would put myself in the same bracket as, as Goslin. I'm oh, not car crazy at all. Uh, that's the only one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's Big it, nothing else. I'm, I'm very much like Goslin, has to be said. Very much like Goslin that yeah. I don't like cars. Yeah. <laughs> We're very much alike, me and you, right? Very, very much alike. <laughs> Big fan of moody silences. <laughs> don't like to say much to anyone. Tip it's a scorpion <laughs> on the back of me denim jacket. <laughs> but I don't think he restored it himself without looking at like a billion YouTube videos. Well, that, yeah, I mean, he, he probably worked through it. It did take him like six months or something, I think, six yeah, to eight yeah. months, but something like that. <laughs> Another really great thing as well, as he learned from stunt drivers, that if you watch him, he has his thumbs over the top of the wheel, not underneath. Mm-hmm. Because if stunt drivers crash like that, it's a higher risk for your thumbs breaking. So every time oh, he right. drives, his thumbs are at the top, which is another lovely little touch. Wow. Brilliant. Right. Yeah. I have to remember that. Pause as well for when yeah, I'm in, in some high-octane pursuit. I think, I think and you're driving thing... like Gosling around, see him. Yeah. 
<laughs> the last thing you need to worry about is your thumbs. <laughs> and stunt driver Robert Nagel worked prominently on the film, and he was instrumental in creating a rig with six wheels, which was 400 horsepower that was used to capture a lot of the high-speed footage in the film. Nice. It was called the Biscuit Rig, and it was created for the film Sea Biscuit to capture that kind of motion. All right, yeah. You would not expect it to be from Sea Biscuit. No, you, know. you wouldn't. Definitely <laughs> the last film it. I would have gone to. Yeah, yeah, same. Goslin said that his character was influenced by action movies as a kid, which is why he grew up working in the movies. I imagine the driving gloves are a nod to Steve McQueen. Yes, mm. bullet. And yeah. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that the toothpick is his homage to Stallone in Cobra. That's Very much so, that. yeah. But you know what you shouldn't <laughs> do? Give one to a small child. <laughs> no, you, do you want a toothpick? Well, you can't have one. You can't have one. Because <laughs> you're only five. Because if you trip and fall, <laughs> they'll be worse than your thumbs breaking off, won't it? <laughs> to cap off our bit on Ryan Gosling, we've got our second Patreon question. Mm. This one comes from a familiar face. It is from Dean Jones. Good to have you back, Dean. Ah, hello, Dean. Hello, Dean. Dean asks, as a leading man, where does Ryan Gosling rank, in your opinion? Can he be considered one of the greats? Mm. Matt, mm-hmm. can he be considered one of the greats? Well, leading man to me, that to me, it's a bit of a loaded term. Like, if you say leading man, I think of people like Tom Cruise or DiCaprio, maybe George Clooney, people where just their name in a film alone, you'll get people interested on that basis. Jean-Claude Van Damme, people like that. Well, well, obviously, Stevens again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. All the big ones. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, you can have a poster with just them on it, and that's enough for people. And I don't yeah. think Gosling is quite there. I think you can put him on the poster, but I don't think that's necessarily going to get people into the cinema. On I the think the first man anymore. proved that, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, as well, for Gosling, I think he's just more quirky than the term leading man suggests. Like, mm. you could put him in Mission Impossible, but I honestly think that would be a bit of a waste. Would he, be, yeah. He, he's got he, more he, range, hasn't he? He's got more range. He could be more yeah. interesting, you know. And he does have charisma to burn, which makes him perfect for something like La La Land, where he's got to yeah. sing, he's got to dance, he's got to be romantic and funny. But then, like we say, give him something like First Man, where he's playing Neil Armstrong. And he doesn't give the the kind of typical lead man performance as an Mm -hmm. all-American hero. You know, Armstrong was, you know, a very internal private person who couldn't even communicate with his kids. And Goslin does that, but it's not necessarily leading man stuff like Wesley says. That's going to get people in the droves to go and see it. So Goslin, for me, you put him in something like this where he has relatively little dialogue or you put him in The Nice Guys, or you put him in Barbie, where it's about the deadpan comic sensibility he (laughs) has. Very good. That's when he comes into his own. Mm. I don't think the typical leading man performances, he's not that for me. He's something more interesting, to be honest. Okay, right, right. Well, when I read the question, I didn't take leading man as like a a Robert Redford Mm. or somebody like that. I just took it as, you know, a great actor. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about De Niro. Uh, right. comparisons to De Niro for that. So I don't think that he can be considered one of the greats at the moment. Mm. I think that comes with time and reflection, to be honest. I'm pretty yeah. sure that in the mid-70s, late-70s, when De Niro was probably doing his best work, mm-hmm. that there would have been an argument against calling him one of the greats alongside, you know, Brando or Mitchum going back a few generations. Yeah. So I think it just comes with perspective. And I think Gosling probably needs a, a few more great roles under his belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love him. Obviously, yeah, we yeah. all do. Yeah, And I think he's got such magnetism, and we all love his comic chops. Mm-hmm. Absolutely irresistible in The Nice Guys. Yeah, Great in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Really like him in The Place Beyond the Pines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am rooting for him, to be honest, to confirm his status, but I don't think he's quite there yet. But again, The Nice Guys, I mean, that was a big flop, wasn't it? No one went to see oh, that, unfortunately. Which, a massive turkey. Yeah. yeah. 
Unbelievable. Which, I mean, what's it's wrong with baffling. people? Yeah, yeah it's what fantastic is wrong with people? Because it's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. Westy, what do you think about Dean's question? Yeah, I kind of stand exactly the same as you guys. And I would say a leading man is one where you go, this guy can carry a film, like Matt says. Mm. You know, it's going to be like Schwarzenegger in the 80s or Stallone. And they were battling <laughs> leading men of like, yeah, really yeah. darted this film. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have now, closer to that is leading directors, like you're going to see a Scorsese film mm. over a DiCaprio one. Like, if, have you ever seen Blood Diamond? No. Right, okay, well, <laughs> once. yeah, maybe once, but, they, yeah, but yeah. he's in a Scorsese film. That's a Scorsese picture, right? Yeah, 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 you see Spielberg film. Yeah, yeah you yeah. can see it. So I think what we'll have now is a kind of a shift on what's focused on in terms of celebrity, whether that is an actor or it's more of a director, or it's more crew now. People are going to see a Roger Deakins film and they'll be like, oh, did he shoot that? It, it, it's making more sense in that way of people are appreciating the craft of it a little bit more. Yeah. But for me... <laughs> Mm. I'm sorry, but I just don't think uh, mainstream audiences are saying, oh, Roger Deacon shot this one straight in there for that, then. <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably I'm right. Sorry. No, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, I just wish the world was a better place. I know. I so, think you're um, talking about it from our perspective, yeah. Westy. Just mine, basically. Yeah. Just yeah. yours. Just mine. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Redford there, and he reminds mm. me of Redford. Because I think he's best with Hoffman. He's best with Newman. He's best mm. when he's got someone to work with mm-hmm. as, yeah. a, as, a, as a bit player. Not an amazing leading man, but an incredible actor. Yeah. Thank you very much for the question, Dean. And that yes. brings a Thank close you. to our conversation on Goslin. Very yep. nice. Mm-hmm. Well, for my cast member, I'm talking about Kerry Mulligan, who plays Irene, mm-hmm. neighbor, love interest, wonderful woman. Yes. And I'll be honest, when I came back to revisit this film, which I hadn't seen in years, probably about 10 years, Mm. my first thought was Kerry Mulligan sticks out like a sore thumb in this cast. Yeah. She's British. Mm -hmm. I didn't know she could play a role like this. Nothing to do with her acting chops, but can she sell that she's an American gal Mm. married to the wrong guy instead of the genteel English girl that I know she is with that accent, quite prim and proper. Mm -hmm. And I was completely wrong. I think she's perfect for this role. She sells the accent. She's mm-hmm. got some toughness, which is kind of lurking below the seemingly fragile exterior. I mean, she'd have to be tough to make it as a single parent in this world, and all that comes with being married to someone like Standard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that Irene isn't in a, an abusive relationship with Standard. Yeah, I think that feels a bit too by the numbers. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I also like that she doesn't verbalize that she doesn't want to be with him either. Pretty sure that she doesn't, but that's mm-hmm. not obvious. No. A role like this, the misery of Irene's existence could have been heaped on far too thickly. But Reffin just floats over that and Mulligan plays it out beautifully for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. The one thing that stuck out from me right near the start, and you've mentioned a slightly Westy, is that the driver's gone to a lot of trouble, I imagine, to get her help with the car, fix the car out, take her back mm. home. Yeah. When they get back to her place, all she offers him is a glass of water for his troubles. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I can get that at home for free. <laughs> yeah, and it's next door. <laughs> yeah, give him something to warm the cockles. <laughs> but Kerry Mulligan's scenes in that first act with Gosselin, I really love them. It's down to the strength of her performance because she's really got to work hard to convey those emotions. Mm. Yeah. And I think she does fantastic work in doing that without the aid of being able to explain verbally. Mm-hmm. Mm. Great stuff. Yeah, the thing is, though, her character in the novel, she's Latina, and that was the original plan for the film until Mulligan came into audition. And as soon as Reffin saw her, he said, you're it. And apparently he was just struck by the innocence she conveyed and thought it fit Irene perfectly. And also Reffin's wife had seen the education from 2009, which Mulligan 
probably a big breakthrough to be honest and, and yeah. she loved her in that yeah yeah she's great yeah i really really like her and i like yeah. a lot of the stuff that she's done after this as well yeah mm-hmm. she said that making the film boiled down to quotes staring longingly at ryan Gosling for hours each day <laughs> what a shame <laughs> there's worse jobs let's yeah. be honest lucky lucky girl yeah sure. yeah <laughs> I do think that she's got this ambiguity to her performance as well, that you find out she was 17 and she was mm. knowingly 17 and she knew yeah. for a fact what stand-up was doing and that was approached. I think she does have this dark past. Mm-hmm. She, you don't know why Standard's in prison. You don't know why he's safe. Maybe no. he's taking mm-hmm. the fall for her. He said that that was illegal to start with. Mm-hmm. And she does have this weird kind of silent reserve, I think, as a character, and she plays that super well because she's just so sweet and mm. gorgeous and just lovely and cute mm. and you just like, well i'm just going to hide behind that and i think that again that's what Reffin does when he's playing with the feminine and the masculinity of both the characters he's kind of mm. pushing them and subverting them and what you think you should know about this person when yeah. really i think there's a darkness to the character that it's only there and only really appeals after a few views and all she wants is for benicio to be fine she doesn't really yeah. care about herself oh, that's clear and that, yeah. that's mm. obvious but i think there's there's undertones to her character where people know yeah, there's a lot that we don't know and we can only imagine the darkness that she's seeing. Which is the brilliance of the writing and the brilliance of the performance. Or the lack Agreed. of writing, really. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, finally, Matt, we're talking about a performance I'm sure that we're all big fans of. Mm-hmm. Albert Brooks, because I think... Oh, yes. It's one of the most interesting and left-field pieces of casting I've seen in quite a while because he's normally mm-hmm. just such a comic... An affable presence, you know. Oh, he's wonderful as well. Albert Brooks, it's films like Broadcast News. I always associate him with, really? not yeah. as a gangster, but yeah. that's what Brilliant. makes it all the more effective. And I like, I love the fact you only get a little hints of Bernie's background. Like he used to be a film producer. Mm-hmm. So how is yeah. he a mobster at the same time? I like how that isn't explained. And mm-hmm. I think Brooks brings a sense to Bernie. He'd probably be happier just being a producer. And you kind of feel this lifestyle isn't really for him. It doesn't yeah, really like bring if the, him. If the films weren't shit, he might have enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they weren't European. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. He would have enjoyed overcharge him as well. Like you let him do it. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. Like being a mobster, it doesn't bring him any happiness. It just feels like, oh, this is a responsibility. And the less he has to do with that aspect of his life, the happier he is. And mm-hmm. it very much contrasts to the character and performance from Perlman as Nino, who gets off on being this huge, scary dude that yeah. breaks people's pelvises. There's none of that oh, with Bernie. There's never a sense that he enjoys making people scared or he enjoys being sadistic or he wants anything other than a quiet life to run the restaurant, maybe get into the racing business, make some money from that. Yeah. But what's really clever is that doesn't soften the performance from Brooks. Like, we'll talk about the scenes in detail later on, but when he has to be violent... He's extremely convincing. Oh, he brings ex- the noise, doesn't he? <laughs> extremely scary. Shit. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So it's like it's like this kind of yin and yang with him. He's someone you can have a reasonable conversation with. You know, Shannon can insult Nino when he goes, oh, he couldn't find pussy in a whorehouse. And Bernie <laughs> lets him get away with it. He doesn't yeah. like, whoa, come on, he's above you. You can't say yeah. it. He lets mm-hmm. it go because it's mm. easy for him and he gets where he's coming from. You know, he genuinely tries to make a connection with the driver, genuinely tries to converse with him. Yeah, he does, he does yeah. yeah. We're a team now. Yeah, we're a team now, yeah. But you do also believe that this man can have you killed and will do it himself oh. if need be. He just won't oh. enjoy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, Brooks really got into it because to minimize emotional cues and make him more menacing, it was his idea to shave off his eyebrows. Yeah, that's right. Right, yeah. right, right. Wow, I, yeah. I knew there was something amiss. <laughs> yes, <laughs> when no I was eyebrows. Watching the... Totally gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he's just such a great presence yes. at Brooks as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. It was a curveball casting Brooks because, you know, obviously he's best known for his comedy sketches, writing, directing, performances. Mm-hmm. He said, you've got to convince a movie studio to take out the Stellan Skarsgård and put you in. It's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. <laughs> he met Reffern in San Francisco where he asked Brooks why he thought he should be given the role. And Brooks said in a very Brooks style, the same 10 people always play the bad guy. So if you want everyone to think that your movie's old hat, cast them. <laughs> oh, what a zinger. Yeah. <laughs> old hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All right, granddad. Yeah. And then during this conversation they were having, Reffin told Brooks that a scene of his from Lost in America had scared him. Mm. And then, without warning, Brooks grabbed hold of him, pinned him up against the wall, and quietly said, to be violent, you don't have to scream at people. Nice. Oh. <laughs> I mean, wow. wow. You can see Albert Brooks saying that, yeah. Yeah. being very calm and very yeah. measured. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a pivotal moment in Brooks getting the gig, but initially Reffin was understandably uncomfortable. Brooks said, for a guy who films all this violence... I don't think he likes being touched too much. <laughs> Who would? Yeah, that's fair like that? Uh, yeah, it's fair enough. I think a lot of credit needs to go to casting director as well, Mindy Marin. Yes. Who brought together this incredibly eclectic cast. Mm. You've got great character actors like Ron Perlman and Albert Brooks, red hot TV talent like Christina Hendricks and Brian Cranston, yeah, yeah. and up-and-comers like Austin Isaac and Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. One of the best casts in recent memory. And you've even got Russ Tamblin in right. there as the yeah. doc who patches up the driver. yeah. yeah. What's he doing in yeah. there for 10 seconds? Yeah. And I'm going to end on a quote from Reffin, who was a fan of the casting process. He compared it to having sex and said, even when it's bad, it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of All The Right Movies is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work and not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to all ATRM listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash ATRM. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ATRM. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of All The Right Movies. The Middle The second act of Drive sees the happy family thing break apart for the driver, Standard, Irene's husband is out of jail and back in her life, and he brings his criminal baggage along for the ride. Yes. Mm-hmm. The driver intervenes for the safety of Irene and Benicio, and that's the scene that we're talking about now, the pawn shop heist. Mm. Oof. Oh, yeah. I'm starting this off, and it's the meeting that introduces us to Cook and Blanche. Yes. It's a very short scene, but very important. It reinforces Goslin's character and sets all the chaos in motion. Yes. Mm-hmm. The driver gives it his usual spiel. I don't carry a gun, I drive. Mm, yeah. Cool as cucumber. Love it. Yeah, brilliant. And I mean, this guy, Cook, 
is a son of a bitch. He's yeah. an arsehole, isn't he? Yeah. Thinks he's a tough guy in his green tracksuit shouting and barking orders all over the joint. <laughs> I just love the menace that the driver brings to everything without any of the ranting and raving that cook does. Yeah. Just hands in pockets, just very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And this feeds off a previous scene in the diner, which blew my socks off when yeah. I first when I came back to watch yeah. it. When the guy comes over talking about the job that they did a year ago, mm. he's talking all kinds of shit, and the camera flies into the driver's face, and he says, "How about this? Shut your mouth, or I'll kick your teeth down your throat, and I'll shut it for you." Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. that's what I want to hear. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't really expect him to be a tough guy, Gosling, really. No. Up up until that point. Yeah. But the way he's framed in that scene and this. You better not cross him. And they yeah. heard about Standard coming back as well, so he's double pissed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, he's double pissed. And I mean, Goslin with that face, shouldn't be convincing as a badass. Not no. really. But he nails it. Yeah. And this scene helps ease you into the, the believable notion that he is not to be messed with in the slightest. Nah. Mm-hmm. Really like those two scenes kind of back to back. Yeah. Yeah, well, when the high score's wrong and we've talked about him, this is when I want to talk about Standard, Irene's husband, Oscar Isaac. Because on the face of it, you think, all right, okay, here comes the antagonist, an yes, ex-criminal, yeah. just yeah. out of prison, comes home to find out some of the guys being making inroads into his family unit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think apart from that initial very frosty conversation in the corridor, yeah. it's like, you can help yeah. it out. You, helping, out. helping out? That's nice helping of you. Out. That's nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> let, let mommy talk <laughs> to a friend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, apart from that, it doesn't really go down that road. And it's clear yeah. that standard. He's a loving dad. He's not horrible. He's not horrible mm-hmm. driving. He's a very likable character. He's a very he likable guy. He's clearly not had much luck in life and has made one bad decision and is still paying the price for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he clearly doesn't have good judgment. You know, didn't realize yeah. Irene was only 17 when he started chatting up yeah. and then she's pregnant yeah. a year later. But when he says, mm-hmm. you know, that was still the best day of his life, he absolutely means that. Yeah, he yeah, does, he yeah. Does. There's this real tragedy to him that I think, fundamentally, he's probably a decent guy. Yeah. But he just doesn't have the smarts to make anything of himself or to get out of the situation. And it's really striking how he takes his ego out of the equation and he does view the driver as a genuine friend who's helping him and his family. And yeah. he does make a big thing out of it. There's no kind of false confrontation between them. So when you get to that heist, you can see he's trying to sum up the bravado that he doesn't really have, you know, and the drive says, see you in five minutes. I'll see you in four. Yeah. See you in like, four. Oh, yeah. Like, stop trying to be the... Come on. The, yeah. Stop trying to be <laughs> like the bad guy here, the tough guy. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. And so I, I genuinely find it quite sad when he's taken out in this sequence. And again, this one, it's it's so pared back. It's done in silence. Bland mm-hmm. strolls out like it's no big deal and it's gone fine. But then it obviously doesn't. But you don't see the heist itself. And it's one of these things. You don't need to see the heist. No, and no. You, you don't it's miss the important. fact that you don't see it. No. The thing is, like, if he didn't have to prove himself, which he's trying to prove himself to the driver that he's better, yeah. he's probably rushed it and fucked it. Yeah, If probably. he had an extra minute, he yeah. probably could have got away with it. Yeah. When that shotgun blasts and breaks the deafening silence, yeah. it yeah. always makes me jump. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And just a little note on the car chase. The car was modified, so the back was the front and vice versa. So when the car does yeah. a 180 and it looks like it's reversing, it's actually going forward right. with oh, Robert right. Nagel, the stuntman, driving out of shot because you can only see what looks like the front, but it's actually the back end. Yeah. And right. when that goes right. around the corner, though, that is one of the coolest shots. Mm-hmm. I'd, I've never been a massive fan of Blanche's reaction with the car in the background. Really? I love it. I don't know if it's 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 not held long enough. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? It's it's mm. fucking excellent. I'm like, I want to see more of it. It just cuts a bit too quick. But right. the staging of the shot, it's incredible to get the crash out of the back of the car with yeah. Blanche 
Yeah. Take to, because that's practical footage as it well. It is. No and I, I want to see more of it. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. see the, the, I, I want to see it hit the ground and spin away. It's a perfect Maybe. way to end the scene. It is. I just think that it, I, I just wanted to see a touch more of it. I think it's something to do with the budget, though. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah, yeah. amazing, though. Incredible stuff. Yeah, brilliant. And Westy. Oh, it's a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go for the bit where the film completely spins the audience on its head. Mm-hmm. We're in the motel. And the driver completely changes personality. He locks that door. He walks over. Oh, yeah. Gloves go on. Mm. <laughs> slap on the bed. And he points at her. Unforgivable. And he's, But it, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. But he's pointing at her as if he's got a gun mm-hmm. to her face. And she buys it completely. And he said, every word out of your mouth is the truth. Or I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. And you're like. Why, why do I still like this guy? Yeah. It's Gosling's performance. It's absolutely yeah, right. amazing. And then you find out he's been ripped off and then you're back on his side. Yeah. She's part of it. And then it just goes into Nicholas Winding Refn territory, <laughs> which I'm just. You're all uh, over it. I'm all <laughs> over it. She gets up, she walks into the bathroom, she's fixing herself up because she needs to see Cook now. He's, she's going to take him. Camera pushes in, stops, and comes back out and then comes around and frames Gosling perfectly in a one Mm-hmm. in, out, frames him. He's yeah, sat great. there. You get that text message. You don't That's know what text, it said. Yeah. Just his reaction, his look to her is like, oh, for fuck's sake, what have you done? Mm. And the way he picks the map or something, what's he doing? But obviously he's buying time, somebody mm-hmm. at that door. And when that shotgun blast goes off and her head explodes. Oh, Jesus Christ. You're like, what is this now? Yeah. Like, how how is he going to get out of this? And he just explodes. And just turns yeah. in and just turns that guy over. And he gets the shower reel, stabs him mm. straight through. The guy turns up, he spins around, blast. And the thing that's really, really European cinema for me and really, really wind and reffing is when he comes forward into the light. And it's Thomas Newton Siegel as well. Let's not forget about that. Yeah. So he comes forward into the light. He's covered in blood. Mm-hmm. But the camera waits. It stops. And the audience stop. And he just, watch it again. He disappears from that frame so slowly and it waits for him just to go behind the door yeah and what's left behind him is just this mess on the wall it's like <laughs> that's what he's got to face now yeah that whole sequence for me if i was going to show anyone any sequence from the past 20 years where i'm like this is quite shocking this comes from left field this mm-hmm. is a completely different change in a film were, were they just driving down where the shot grease there 20 minutes ago and <laughs> having a lovely whole day out yeah. is yeah. he a real human being he was skimming a stone now he's skimming a skull you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and it's just beautifully realized beautifully done it's just a wonderful wonderful piece of filmmaking and beautifully realized i absolutely adore it yeah i mean that head exploding is hard to bear it is hard to bear but it's beautiful violence in the role of Blanche, Reffin wanted to hire a porn actress, thinking that somebody from that background would have a natural authenticity. All right. He tested a, a number of actresses, but what they lacked was a natural acting talent. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Hendrix came on board after Reffin's wife saw a picture of her and thought she was beautiful. Mm. But, I mean, she was huge from Mad Men as well. Mm-hmm. Moving straight over to the sequence that follows, the driver is on a rampage to find out whose money he has. Then he gets caught up in one hell of a confined bloody space. Mm. Yep. And to start us off, I love the moment where he goes to the strip joint to see Cook. And when I say go to see Cook, (laughs) I mean smash his hand to pieces. And threaten him with a bullet. Oh my God, how good is it? And a hammer. How fucking cool is this sequence? Yeah, it is. I think a nice little detail here is that he smashes his left hand 
but his right hand is already in some kind of cast. Do you yeah. notice? Yeah. All right, yeah. Presumably he's got on the wrong side of another mean cat. <laughs> yeah. And this must happen all the time because yeah. he is an absolute prick. Yeah. Nobody's eating pizza, he's really struggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that when he bursts in. Some of the dancers leave, understandably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them stay. They're unfazed by what's happening. And because Cook is such a piece of work, presumably they're happy to see his comeuppance. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody steps in to stop what's happening. No, no. Would you? I mean, he gets what he deserves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reffin said the girls become this strange mix of sex and violence that's pleasurable. The women become the audience, and he's performed this psychotic behavior in front of an audience. He's so pure in his actions, and he's so right about it, that it can be viewed as a piece of art. Well, it can be. I mean, if you watch... <laughs> if there was any one of us yeah. who would agree, it would have been Westy. <laughs> But I think you can also see the driver's vulnerability here. He's not fearless, particularly when he's he finds out it's Nino's money. Mm. We know that Nino has a penchant for smashing pelvises. Yeah. yeah. And then the driver's voice cracks when he's talking. He's just realized that a terrible situation is a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But just with the power that he bursts in there, ruthless efficiency. Love it. Yeah. Okay, Westy, what about you in this sequence? I'm going to go for when he's full of regret and he speaks to Irene before the elevator sequence because I think that's Is equally this the same as guy? yeah <laughs> it's, it's as important as what happens in the elevator to be to be fair and really starts him thinking that this is over it's like a breakup it's incredibly well done yeah. he's like, I have to tell you something they're both kind of looking at the floor he's like a child in this he sequence is. he's completely he broken by it and that slap from Mulligan is so well timed. Mm. But it's her reaction to that slap. And she looks straight down at the floor and she just regrets it immediately. And it's just the way he delivers that line. He's like, you can have the money if you want. I'll come with you. I'll look yeah. after you. Just really beautifully done and really beautifully told in such a few amount of shots. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed about this, like the last time I saw it, is every time he meets her in the elevator, they're going up. They either meet at the bottom and they're, mm. they're traveling upwards into something. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they descend. This is the first yeah. time they're going down into right. some kind of hell. Yeah, He sees the guy in the elevator. He knows that he's, he's doing what he's saying. I'm going to look out for you, but it's the last time I'm going to do it. And mm. I love how vulnerable that character is there. After everything you've seen, you still feel sorry from here. Beautiful. Yeah, you do. Performance mm-hmm. for both of them. Really, really great. Yeah, great. Take it away then, Matt. Yeah, I want for the second bloodbath that we'll get. <laughs> <laughs> it's built up brilliantly. That look he gets in his eyes when he first clocks the guy in the elevator. Yeah, And I love how he tries to bluff his way out of, like, staying in the elevator because, obviously, he was going to try and get them in their apartments and says, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, wrong floor, which is, you know, <laughs> it's so blatantly sus. So the driver yeah. knows what's up. And it does have this poignancy to it because this lift is where the first met. That's where the first, like, shared the scene mm-hmm. together. And this is going to be their goodbye, or they don't know it yet. And I think that's why he takes this moment to kiss him because he knows after she sees what she's going to have to see in just a minute. Yeah he's never going to have the chance to kiss her again, yeah. Yeah. either because they're going to be killed because there'll be more men coming after them, or her view of him will forever change. Of course. And she won't want to have anything to do with him. And I think that's why that slow-mo is so effective. I think that's why the light dimming is so effective. It, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make literal sense, but it makes movie sense. And yeah. it's one of those moments where you think, God, if I could make like a moment last forever, it would be a moment like this. Mm. Like, would be that first kiss with that woman that, you know, he's completely besotted with. And that's mm-hmm. what this moment is about for me. And the music's really beautiful. And then it just switches into, like, mm-hmm. utter psychotic rage and violence. And there's only one glimpse of that face being stomped in, but Goslin's performance and the sound 
it does that classic yeah. thing of it makes you think you saw more than you actually did. It's mm-hmm. when he grabs the reel. Yeah. You know he's going for it. <laughs> when yeah. he grabs yeah. that reel. Yeah. yeah. Christ okay. almighty. <laughs> and, and one of the most notable moments in the film for me is the expression on his face when Irene gets out and the doors yeah. close yeah. between them and it's goodbye, it's over. And like Wesley says, mm-hmm. the lift has gone down now. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's lit in orange yeah. with the hell of everything. And she's yeah. very blue and she's got the lights behind her. It's mm-hmm. the heaven of everything. It's just a really great sequence. And then it frames the Scorpion on his back yeah. perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. all you see at the end of that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This scene was influenced by a similar head-busting scene from Gaspar Noah's Irreversible. Mm-hmm. We all know that one, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus yeah, fucking yeah. Christ. Jesus comes, which comes very early. Yeah. Um, in fact, Reverend called Noah to ask how he did it. Reverend concedes that Noah's still the definitive head-smashing scene, uh-huh. but takes comfort and he got a kiss in his scene. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't usually go together, do they? they no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. I mean, God, I'm Irreversible. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. 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 Forget about it. Yeah. It was originally more graphic and was cut to avoid an NC-17 rating. Mm. I can imagine, yeah. For the better for me. I don't need to see someone's head turn into mush for too long. No, no. Reffin does it, man. He makes it almost sexual, of like that, the penetration of things and how things just break open. He and loves how talking about penetration. And that's the he whole point. It. It's like it's almost like the driver forcing himself to just disappear into something else because he can't have the thing that he really wants. Mm. It did caught criticism in some quarters or because of the violence as you might expect naturally and yeah. then Reffin in response said i think that art is an act of violence and the more emotionally engaged you are in a piece of art the more violent it feels so the body count is not as high in my film as it is in many other movies but maybe what people are confusing is the physical violence with the emotional violence in the movie so that yeah. can give you images in your head that aren't necessarily there in the film but it's also much more satisfying because then the film is really touched and here comes the word penetrated you yeah, I totally agree with that. It's something that I totally believe in, you know, from a director like this and putting it across visually on the screen. Mm-hmm. How else How else can you do it Yeah, with poetry and with beauty? I think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite stunning to pull off what he mm-hmm. has with this extreme violence, but mm-hmm. we're talking about what we see in poetry and beauty <laughs> yeah. and penetration. Yeah. Those, those don't usually go. No. <laughs> no, they don't usually, but they do here, which is why I love it. <laughs> Reffin said that this scene was a microcosm of the whole film, the whole Grimm's fairy tale of it all. Pure and beautiful at the start, and then incredibly hard to bear and ultra-violent at the end. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, maybe think he's taking a little bit of artistic license. <laughs> but we're on board with it. Yeah, loves a bit Where's of the ultra-violence. I'm definitely on board with it. So Reffin makes good on his promise of all-out bloody vengeance, particularly with that elevator scene, which is a shocking standout. Yes. Fantastic. The crew... A very talented crew on Drive, not necessarily household names. None of them have been mentioned on the podcast before. No. Nope. But they all bring something unique to Drive. Mm-hmm. And first up is the screenplay written by Hossein Amini. Mm-hmm. Matt, mm. what do you think of the writing on Drive? The striking thing about the writing for me is the minimalism of it. Everything stripped back to the bare minimum. No yeah. backstory for the driver, no name for him. Standard gets out yeah. of prison and we don't waste time seeing him trying to go straight or getting into a needless confrontation with the driver, which would move the film along within yeah. 10 minutes, he's in trouble again, because that's what the plot needs to move along, and that's all we need. Those three relationships between Shannon, Nino, and Bernie all addressed in two or three lines of dialogue, one little bit of exposition mm. to the driver, and that's all you need. You don't need flashback scenes. You don't need Shannon chipping into the driver, oh, yeah, that's what Nino did to my pelvis. This is how much it hurt. It's all established very quickly, very neatly, and then moves on. We've been talking about already, but that relationship between 
the driver and Irene, Refn just lets the actors tell that in the glances between each other, mm-hmm. how they soften around each other, and it's the only time we see the driver relax, which tells you everything you need to know. We don't need anything about how he became a stunt guard driver in the first place, and then how does that tie in with being a getaway driver in a spare time, mm-hmm. which came first? Doesn't matter. You don't need to know. Like no. other films, I might want to tell you that, but you don't need to know it and you don't miss knowing it, which I think is the important no. thing. Yeah, it, it's not a script where for me there's lots and lots of like thematic undercurrents in there. I don't no. think it's that deep and that's fine. Not everything has to be, I think. No, no, it doesn't. The writing makes the most out of not a hell of a lot. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really cover himself in glory before or after Drive. Amini with mm. his writing career. Right. I think he got a huge help in hand from Refn because he, he definitely would have made that all action blockbuster at Universal given the chance. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Which, you know, can you blame him? I'm sure the three of us would. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Take yeah, an easy paycheck, yeah. But what I think he's done with this script is give a fresh spin on a, a very well-worn path. The loner who gets in deep with the woman he shouldn't and has to go up against the mob to defend her. Saying it a thousand times, mm-hmm. but I genuinely didn't know where this was going to go from beat to beat. The way that the characters are written, like you said, with standard, mm-hmm. that relationship should be much different to what it actually is. Yeah. But I think it's the overall process that needs to be praised here. I love the depth of those supporting characters, but we know that the actors brought a lot of their own ideas to the party. Mm. I think what Amini has done is given us a very lean, very pure structure for everybody else to add flesh to the bones. Yes. There are particular choices made in the screenplay that I really like. We don't find out immediately that Standard has been released from jail. We get the sound of that telephone that leaves us knowing that there's something up, but it leaves us in the dark about Irene's feelings about her Mm. husband's homecoming. We don't see the resultant telephone conversation. Yeah. So we don't know how she really feels, and that lingers into the second act, and I like that a lot. And I love that when there's that conversation in the corridor, Standard comes out, he's getting angsty mm. with the driver, yeah. let mommy talk to her friend, you mentioned <laughs> it. Yeah. But let mommy talk to her friend, there are no more words uttered. Mm. And I think that's because Standard doesn't understand the relationship between Irene and the driver. And they kind of share a couple of glances and a smile and then is off. Yeah. It's restraint in the writing when the easy route would have been to fill it with dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Overall, I think, I mean, he's got solid writing and has been a very, very effective collaborator. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to take anything away from him. No. No, definitely not. What about you, Westy? What do you think of the writing? Yeah, I think it takes a real artist to sit with somebody and have stuff deleted from what you've done. <laughs> do you know what <laughs> I mean? Very much. To have that minimalist kind of view on things and then take their view and say, right, okay, you're the director, you're the actor, mm-hmm. if you want to strip some dialogue. And the other thing is just how mysterious the main character is, how we get mm-hmm. no backstory, which we've mentioned before. We don't get anybody's backstories. No. We don't know any reason no, we why don't. anybody's here. Mm. No. And the great thing about that is we don't know anyone's past. But what he maintains is that we don't know anyone's future unless mm. they die. Mm. Yeah. So if you're dead, you're out of there. Yeah. But we don't quite know how Benicio and Irene are going to do. Mm. Are they going to be all right? Yeah. Is he going to be all right? I mean, is anyone going to be all right? Probably not. Can you trust Bernie when he says that they're not going? They're not going to get touched mm. because Shannon nope. spilled the beans and he's fucked up so many times. And there's very few films that leave you satisfied without answering so many questions that it opens up. And I think that's the genius of it. I love the mystery of it. It's really romantic. But then the mystery of the ending is just as romantic. So I think it's brilliant the way it top and tails that, the way it opens with mystery and it ends with mystery. I think that's yeah. really great writing. Yeah, solid, certainly a solid piece of work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he adapted Drive from James Salas's source novel published in 2005. Read that one, Luke? No, I haven't quite absorbed that one yet. <laughs> I haven't absorbed that one yet. I did it's 140 lend you it. pages. Yeah. I'll, I'll, lend you that. I'll lend you that in 1999, I think. <laughs> 
It's got a non-linear structure. It's 140-odd pages of novel. It provided a challenge to adapt, which is why it languished for so long. Yeah. I mean, these initial drafts are more in line with what Universal had in mind. Big budget, yeah. big action, big chases, yeah. but all of that changed when Refn came on board. Yeah. So the narrative remained largely the same, but the tone and vision changed from the book, as did the dialogue, which is pretty much stripped bare. The shooting mm. script was only 81 pages long. Yeah, I mean, that is just crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 81 I think pages, and we've got an hour and 40 140 in a, in a book, though, is not, it's not a big book, is it? No, it's not. No, no very anymore. short. Quite fancy reading that, just in case there's anything else. Well, there are details in, in the book that didn't make it to the film. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, nice. you see, you do actually see, well, quite a lot of his backstory. So in the novel, he gets sent to a foster home because he's seen his mother kill his dad in a fit of rage, and then he winds up stealing his foster parents' car and running away from home. Right, okay. So you yeah. do see that yeah. in the novel. Don't need to see that. No. Is that in it? The film, yeah. Is that is, is that the main? Oh, well, I'm not going to bother then. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't bother. <laughs> Pretty cliche no, stuff to be honest. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I think it's to Reffin's credit that he kept Amini on board and collaborated with him on rewrites. Mm. I mean, how many times have we talked about directors changing in pre-production and the original writer just being out and their ass? Yeah. yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about it. It feels like really collaborative. But at the mm, same just, time, quite singular. But mm-hmm. everyone knows what they're doing, and everyone's yeah. polished. It's great. Looking at this film, this looks like a pure singular artistic mm. vision from right. Reffin. Yeah, right. Yeah, Reffin said actors just have to approach their material in a different way. But it's great because it's like exercising muscles that you don't usually put so much attention to, like gestures, movements, and posture. Right. It becomes so much more telling. You can't say what you're feeling with words, so you have to find other ways to do mm. so. Yeah, I get it. that. So regardless of how much input Refn had in the screenplay, Amini gives us a clear vision for the film yeah, in yeah, the structure. Very much. Yeah. Next up, we're talking about the music in the film. It plays a very prominent part and is a mixture of Cliff Martinez's score and synthy pop songs. Mm. Westy, yeah. what do you think of the music? Love it. Top five. <laughs> top five every time. <laughs> every time we talk about the soundtrack, it's top five. It's, it's great. It's just so soft. For, mm. for what what you're seeing, yeah. it it needs to have this real booming score, and some of it's so subtle and so nuanced and quite foreboding in ways. That if you do, if you don't really listen for it, it's not really there. You know, mm. the bit when he goes to say Cook, it's just this one two. It's an atmosphere, note. isn't it? It's very much so, and it's the atmosphere of L.A. And I think no one really tapped into that, and just it's so obvious now. You watch it back and go, oh yeah, neon L.A. Mm. Since <laughs> that makes perfect sense now. You, know, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't do this in New York. No, you couldn't no, do this in San not. Francisco. Mm. You mm-hmm. couldn't do this in New Orleans. You could you just couldn't. But in LA, it really works. Mm. And I'm shocked that it hasn't been done before. And it's definitely been done after. Mm. <laughs> but I think it's just the the songs as well are great choices. He's a real hero, a real human being. Like Matt said, <laughs> it's a real like yeah. Okay, I get it. Fine. You know, it's so obvious and it's so cliched that it should be cheesy, but it isn't. I loved hearing this kind of soundtrack. I loved I loved seeing this kind of emerge from this film and a lot of bands have come from this and a lot of synths have come back from this and yeah, it's great to see. It is. Yeah, it's wonderful stuff. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, it's excellent, really distinctive and I am a big fan of that like ethereal, dreamy electro oh, yeah. pop style Love in it. general yeah. and it's used so well here and it just takes you away from reality a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. Which is what adds to this film. It's it's one where I kind of really struggle to describe how it does it or why it does it, but I think some soundtracks, they sound a little bit too obvious, like, ah, that's music composed and they've just overlaid it on top. And that's fine, yeah. it's great, but that's where it's come from. This one, and I can't really explain why, it just feels like it's come from within the film itself. 
It's yeah. almost like it's its own character. Almost as if like it's the songs are playing in the characters' heads at time. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the music just thunders. It pulses with energy. It makes the film feel alive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And not just the soundtrack, but the, just the sound design in the film. It's massive. Yeah. yeah. It's huge in the mix throughout, but then we get these sustained periods of silence. Yeah. And that's really effective. Yeah. I think it was one of those soundtracks that transcended the film itself and it took on a life of its own. It went to number one in the charts over here. I mean, unthinkable for a movie soundtrack. Yeah. I think it's the perfect marriage of music complementing the visuals and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The, that opening track, Tick of the Clock by the Chromatics, mm. yeah. the one that scores the job, it just fits so perfectly, which is incredible when you consider it wasn't written for the film. Not at all. When it goes quiet, that's when the driver is hiding from the cops, and then the beat starts to get louder as the intensity of the chase rises. Yeah. It really shows the power of editing, like you said, Westy, mm-hmm. to get the images to match the song. Yeah. It's, it's and thematically, Tick of the Clock, the opening scene's all about time and the importance of it. Yeah. I mean, it's very difficult to know where the pop music ends and the score starts. Mm-hmm. It is. I think, yeah. about I think four that's intentional. Five songs. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. And they blend together perfectly so well. And they, they kind of create a, a one like dreamy soundscape. Yeah. Feels like it's being generated by the city itself. Mm. Yeah. There's one use of music in the film that does take me out of it a little bit, but I'll mention that later. Uh, I know which one you mean. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, right. The music wasn't decided on until post production. They knew they wanted electro pop music, but non retro sound in all of the songs bar one in the film were released no more than four years prior to 2011. Editor Matt Newman had a big part to play in the song choices. He suggested Night Call and Real Hero. And I think you can tell he's like, we need to cut it to this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. He's chosen the songs to edit to. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's the same with the writing. It's a, it's wine and reference listening to the crew. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. The older song is All My Love by Katina Ranieri, which was from the early 70s. Plays as Nino is killed. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And reference said, we didn't have to emulate the feel and sound that we were looking for. Those songs embodied the film's mood perfectly, so we started editing the film with those playing in the background. I had to cut the movie to those particular songs, and it kept me in the right state of mind. Johnny Jewell from The Chromatics was originally signed on to score the film, but at the last minute he was replaced by Cliff Martinez. Martinez has been scoring movies since the 80s. Reffin loved his work on Sex, Lies and Videotape. Yeah. But Under Your Spell and Tick of the Clock were both written by Johnny Jewell, so he did get some of his music in there. Yeah. And that leads us to our third and final Patreon question. This one is from Stephen Garland. Hi, Stephen. Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Stephen says, Drive's ambient synth-heavy soundtrack is a rare approach for more modern films, but if executed right, which it very much is in this case, can totally immerse you into the film. Agreed. Stephen asks, what other movies have a similar unique soundtrack that submerges you into that film? He also says that you're not allowed to pick Blade Runner. Oh, well, that's me out. Yeah. <laughs> Got no answers. <laughs> Matt, what do you I'm think? not really out. I've got answers. <laughs> I'll come to you, Westy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it is so unique. I do struggle to think of any quite like this to be honest to to the extent that this one does the ones that do come to mind though i think kubrick handles music really well i think 2001 particularly the opening music the shining the music he uses there yeah like on the opening of that that, oh jesus christ yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and i think the other director who came to mind terence malick the music he brings in something like tree of life okay yeah, I think Malik always uses music really well to really kind of take you into the world of his films. So Tree Life, definitely mm. the new world as well. Yeah. What about you, Westy? I would say I've always, we're always up on this, aren't we, the soundtracks. Like it's top five for this, top five, <laughs> always top five this. There's, and I just had to think of something that was unique. 
and it was all brother we are though oh came to okay. me it's like yeah, very unique but i think joker was really good and that really stood out for me as one of the very original soundtrack yeah that, was, very that nice. was a beautiful thing but the the one that i'm gonna say is dead man by neil young from oh, the jim jomish yeah, film great so it's basically just played the film in front of him and he just played the soundtrack as he watched the film. So yeah, for me, great. you can't get more unique than that. Mm-hmm. I, I was struggling with this. The way I approach Stephen's question is that the music has to be thematically the same. Mm. Okay. There's not different genres thrown into the mix. They all work as an album on their own merits, but also additionally submerge you into what you're watching. Yeah. Like you would buy it separately. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 that's right. So the first one I'm going for is the soundtrack for The Harder They Come. The Jimmy Cliff film. All right. Okay. Which is right up there for me. The music leaps from the screen and it completely roots you in that seedy criminal world in Jamaica. Mm. And it's a great accompaniment to the film and the location. And Jimmy okay. Cliff acts as good as you can sing, quite honestly. Right. Beautiful stuff. It's a gr- it's just such a magnificent soundtrack. And if you're not a massive fan of reggae, then that's your, that's your gateway right. drug. Oh, fair one. I need to get Amazing. into that. Now I'm a tiny fan of reggae. It makes me feel seasick. <laughs> oh, it's just fantastic. The, mm, but I just feel a bit uh, off kilter. Just the tempo of it. But I'll get no, into it. Not yeah, my favourite that, reggae it's... band. That's the police, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, you be 40. <laughs> <laughs> Same guys for 20 Classic. years. Classic Westy. <laughs> yeah, <that. laughs> Sorry, guys. the second one that I thought of. <laughs> The second one that I thought of is Curtis Mayfield's soundtrack for Superfly, the 1972. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The films, as you would expect, a gritty crime drama set in the grime of 70s New York. Mm-hmm. But the music, obviously amazing, yeah. Tick. Yeah. But the music is almost too good for the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right, it's okay. an amazing soundtrack. There's danger around every corner of that soundtrack, just like the film. It is one of those examples where the soundtrack is better oh, than wow. the film okay. itself. Nice. But it completely puts you in the shoes of the character and the danger that surrounds them. Amazing soundtrack. Oh, nice. That's actually reminding me about um, Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which I think Very is nice. Well. Valo Schifrin. Valo Schifrin, yeah. Wonderful. So, great choices on the soundtracks and a great question from Stephen to root them out mm-hmm. of us. Yes, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. And finally, we have... Newton Thomas Siegel, cinematographer extraordinaire. Yes. From one to the other, Westy, what do you think <laughs> of the cinematography? Um, fuck me, don't put me up there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Pressure. Here's a fun little game for me to play only in the world. Okay. Was this shot on film or was this shot on digital? Matt. Film. Luke. Well, I know it was shot digitally. Well, I fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> On what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this was shot digital on the Alexa, which is very similar to what Dickens used for a lot of his stuff. And it's just, it just looks beautiful. It looks like it should be shot on film, is the Mm. the reason I asked the question. It's got a very old school look. And the reason it's got an old school look is because it's such a small camera, but he doesn't move it a lot. There's no handhelds. No. It's very cinematic. It, very much. It's Everything's locked off. Everything's got a frame. Everything's got a purpose. Mm. Everything's got, you know, what you see is what you exactly need to see. I think the visuals to this are exactly the same as the writing. The dialogue stripped back, and so is the attention to the frame. You see mm-hmm. exactly what you need to do. There's nothing in that frame that you don't need to see. And the, I think the only tracking shot is, is the end when he walks into the restaurant to meet Bernie. That's the only time it's handheld. 
because right. he finds a, he's really disjointed with what's going on. Yeah, and he's yeah. not in control. Out of control. Yeah. It's the use of the mirror shots in this. I think Munich's probably the only other film where the mirror shots are as good as this one. Because <laughs> you've got like that one I said where he's reflected and you've got the family mm-hmm. portrait and you've got you've got Irene standing next to it. You've got them driving down and he says, do you want to see something? You've got Benice reflected in the rear view mirror. Yeah. You've got all of these frames within frames within paint within paint and it's just the lighting of this is just incredible and how he's not scared to change it halfway through like you talked about with the elevator scene Matt it just goes it's cinematic Mm. it shouldn't make sense it should take you out the film Mm. but it's done in such a beautiful way where you buy into it and that's kind of maybe how that feels and he makes it look like it should feel but um, incredibly versatile an incredibly good cinematographer and someone who just said look Nicholas Martin Reffin, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And he absolutely does. And he hasn't yeah, he done does. anything like this afterwards. Reffin has. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Nick Siegel <laughs> just went, that's it for me. I'm going to nail it. And he nails it on. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, on the on the lighting in the uh, the car sequences, the nighttime car sequences, yeah. Siegel said we rigged the car uh, with a rack overhead with all kinds of different lights. And we wired them into the dimmers in the trunk so they could be wirelessly controlled so we could turn lights on and off and dim them up and down. Yeah. So Ryan could just drive around while we played the roof rack like a musical instrument. Amazing. Wow. It's really intricate stuff. Like if you watch it it, how, how he lit most of it, it's really, really intricate to make it look so simple. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. work. So a very talented crew on Drive all pulling together to create something greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. Absolutely. The end. We're into the final act and it's not going to end well for mm. anyone. We're starting off with people being offed all over the place at the hands of Bernie. Yeah. And I'm starting off with the interaction at Nino's. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. This is where we get to know what the hell is actually happening. Nino stole from the East Coast mob who were trying to muscle in on his patch. And we find out Nino's motivations as well. He's he's not accepted from the family because he's Jewish. Mm. And what's really telling is that Bernie calls Nino Izzy, presumably his real name. Mm. Nino is an aspirational title he's given himself inside this pizza shop yeah. that is a front. Yes. <laughs> and Ron Perlman did not have to be persuaded to join the cast of Drive. The fact that Nino was Jewish, who wanted to be Italian, spoke to him because he felt the same when he was growing up in New York. That's exactly what he was like. Mm. Great. Yeah, perfectly. He doesn't need to act. No. He just needs to play it. Yeah. It's what he says. They call me a kike to my face. It's, mm-hmm. oh, it's, re- it's really powerful stuff. Some of yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. And in this scene, we find out how much of a bastard Bernie is. Bernie the bastard. Yeah. yeah. Slinging all the insults at Cook before sticking a fork in his eye, which that's unnecessary. <laughs> it is unnecessary. <laughs> that part is unnecessary if you want to kill him because you're still going to have to slice his neck. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of whether the fork's in his eye or not. <laughs> <laughs> but when he uses the knife in the throat, it's not a clean in and out. Mm. He squeezes that knife in the neck, yeah. forcing it through arteries and vein and muscle in his windpipe. Mm. And a knife usually goes in and out without too much force in movies, but not here. Yeah. And it makes it all the more hard to watch. Mm. And like many other scenes from earlier, it shows the menace that Bernie packs, which we hadn't really seen up until this point. No, not to this degree. I think he wanted to make a mess. Yeah, It's, yeah, it's more of a message did. to Nino than it is to anybody it else. Is, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. now you have to clean up after me. Mm-hmm. And he has been a likable man, really. Yeah. And he's been on Shannon's side. He's been helping him out. But this scene, I think, makes the next scene believable. And there's a clear difference between this one and that one. Yes. Yes. Uh, Matt, I believe you're going to pick up the baton on that one. I absolutely am, yes. Yeah, because then you get Bernie killing Shannon because Shannon's loose and they need to be tied up. 
And it's a devastating moment because their relationship has played out so interestingly. You know Bernie has genuine affection for Shannon. You've seen it in the way that he, he tells Ravi he let Shannon get away with overcharging him in a way that mm-hmm. Nino didn't. And when Nino says Shannon has to go in that previous scene because he knows about the money, you see Bernie literally flinch. You can see the look on his face like, yeah. oh, he does and I didn't want to be put in this position. Mm-hmm. And he knows Nino's right, but he hates the fact that he's right. And I think it's notable that he decides to take responsibility because I think if he tells Nino to do it, it's going to be much worse for Shannon. Yeah, yes. It's going yeah. to be nasty. And so then you get to that scene in the garage and Shannon finds him just broken in and he's just lent up against the car and Shannon knows instantly what's coming. So this scene has this real finality to it, you know, trying to cover for the driver, saying he's gone to Mexico or maybe Belize. And he mm. knows that Bernie knows he's lying. So yeah. this is just for sure. He's accepted his fate. But I think he also knows that because it's Bernie, Bernie's not going to torture him for the information, unlike uh, Nino. Nino would have absolutely yeah. put him over the racks to get the info yeah, out of him course. where the driver is. And yeah, as you've kind of started to hear that, Luke, it's just the complete contrast to how he's dispatched Cook in the previous scene, which was so savage. Here, mm-hmm. it's just that one cut with a straight razor. Don't worry, that's Ugh. it. It's done. It's, it's, it's done. No pain. It's done. It's no, no pain. pain. No pain. No yep. pain. It, it's, oh my it's God. like if you ever like take your kid to the doctor because they need a jab and they're scared about getting the thing. It's what you say to them. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's done now. Yeah. No more pain. Mm-hmm. It was just that little prick. Yeah. It's done now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and there's God. a real comfort how he's talking to him and the fact like he doesn't lunge at him. He doesn't try to trick him and get him to turn around so he can reach behind and like slit his throat. He shakes his hand yeah. to do it. It's not a trick. It is all about right because he doesn't have that much regard for the driver later. When he, you know, tries to kill the driver, he does lunge at him, gives him a belly mm-hmm. wound. Yeah. So there is this whole regret to the sequence, the fact that Bernie won't get his name on the car. You know, oh, I think we would have made a go at this business. He genuinely wanted to. He's devastated. He's yeah. devastated. I see my name on that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It's outbreak. And the last thing that strikes me about the scene, and again, it, it contrasts the previous one with Cook, he doesn't just take a carved knife and a fork like he did to Cook, who means nothing mm-hmm. to him. This straight razor, he doesn't chuck it in the bin. He doesn't chuck it in a drawer. He's got like a special box for it. Yeah. It means something. And I think that speaks to the respect he has for Shannon. You know, if I'm going to have to take him out, it's going to be, for whatever reason, this particular razor that I keep here. And keep it pristine as and well. And keep it pristine, yeah. Yeah, devastating scene as well. It is. Mm. And I think everything from Bernie is a handshake. He shakes the driver's hand and knows that he's doomed. He refuses to shake Shannon's hand throughout the whole mm. film until the end. Yeah. I love that scene right at the start, and the driver doesn't shake. Yeah. Uh, my, my hand's, hand's a little, little dirty. dirty. Yeah. So, so mine, yeah. So yeah. Love that. Brilliant, love isn't that. <laughs> and afterwards, when the driver comes back and finds Shannon, and he's just slumped, and he's done for, mm. and there is that regret, and there is that tinge, but mm. Reffin doesn't make it overly sentimental or emotional. There's no big mm. score in here where you're like, oh, my God. He doesn't try and save him. He knows he's done for. He hated him for, for ratting out Irene and telling Bernie mm-hmm. about Irene in the first oh, yeah. place. So he kind of wanted that done with. But it always harks back to it's how clever this film is and how clever it is with the writing and what they left in, not what they took out. Because mm-hmm. he's sitting there and he says, have you still got the money? I'll look after it for you if you want. And he said, like, can you stop? Yeah. And that was well early in the film. Mm-hmm. And now you know yeah. he's been looking after it the whole time. Yeah. It's been in the back of that car. Yeah. In the booth. And he just brings it out. And it's the car that he dies next to. He actually died protecting the money. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to him. 
So Shannon mm-hmm. actually wins by turning Bernie's attention away from what he thought wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. And he takes the attention out on him. Driver comes back and kind of looks down at Shannon and goes, right, okay, well, yeah, I forgive you now then because yeah. you've you've paid your last debt to what we mm-hmm. need to pay the debt to. And I think that's mm-hmm. just a beautiful thing to, to look back on. It, it, the way it's done and narratively, I think it's just brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic stuff. Well, now for the final sequence. The driver has Nino marked for death before trying to come to a truce with Bernie. All right. And I'm starting off with a scene where Nino gets what's coming to him. Yeah. Okay. It's given such drama by that song, Oh My Love. Yeah. It feels mm. like a scene right out of The Godfather or something like that yeah. because of the pizza setting, the drama mm. in the vocal, the slow-mo of everyone in the party having a great time. But like I mentioned in the last segment, this song, it does pull me out of the film a little bit. I knew you'd say that. Mm. It's really Scorsese for me, though. I just don't feel it's thematically consistent with everything okay. that we've heard and everything that we've seen since. It's just a little bit out of whack with the theme of, of everything that we've seen. Mm. I actually when I came to revisit her for the first time and it plays just as that scene where the driver finds Shannon, mm-hmm. I thought he started singing. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought it wasn't in the soundtrack. I thought it was Can the driver imagine? singing like That'd a baby. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Auditioning for La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that aside, when the driver has that mask on, it's such an odd image at the door. Mm. He looks really weird. I really like kind of what you were saying about the lighting. It's so obvious but it's, it's effective. It works for the film. Mm-hmm. He kind of gets a light on his face as mm-hmm. he's at that door looking into the party, almost as if he's kind of like an angel of vengeance or something like that. Yeah. And the mask, it could be interpreted as him needing to become a different person to be able to achieve what he needs to achieve. He's not yeah. the smiley faced fella around Benicio. He has no expression. No. Reffin said the driver wearing a mask was our way to show that he has completed his own transformation into becoming his own superhero he said the movie if you think about it is about a man who's transforming himself into a superhero and fights the bad guys and superheroes need their own costume and the mask is his right superheroes (laughs) brothers grim penetration (laughs) what's going on (laughs) genius that's what's going on like it's great when those headlights appear from nowhere after he smashed nino off the road nino's face is almost complete darkness but then he he soon sees the light from the car and it put me in mind of something like jewel or christine Mm -hmm. a really menacing image yeah yeah and there's just something so purely cinematic about that moment on the beach the malibu setting the sporadic light from the lighthouse the threat of the shoreline and the increased din from the score I mean, I don't know what Nino thinks he's doing wading into that sea. That's going to end badly for him. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't see how Nino buys it, leaving it up to our imagination, Mm. which, I mean, I can only imagine. But, I mean, Nino, he gets absolutely, he's just desserts. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It is the scorpion and the frog story. Uh Yes, of course, your friend Nino didn't make it across the river. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So he stings him, however he stings him, that's up to your imagination. Yeah, yeah. Great. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Westy. Yeah. What do you think about this end sequence? I mean, we've seen the end of Nino. Mm. And now, like I've said, we've got a tracking shot, which always unnerves me, but it's beautifully <laughs> done. It's just long enough. And he goes in and it's the subtle soundtrack here. And the dialogue here is great. Where's the money now? Mm. It's in the car. Yeah. Where he's always been. Of course, Where it's he's in the, the car. safest. Mm-hmm. It's in the car. It's just so beautifully played out the way this is edited. Because I can imagine this is how the book's written. And I imagine this is how much of the screenplay was written. You just see the driver knows what's coming. Mm. 
and you see it play out and then he knows what's coming. You see it play out and then he knows what's coming. It's just, it's the same as the opening sequence, except it's just edited completely differently. Yeah. You could edit the opening sequence like this. Mm-hmm. You could have him just say, and you know, I'll be with you in five minutes and, and then anything outside that window, and then bang, and it could cut to him just speeding away and, and then cut back to his speech and cut back again. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's just so beautifully played out here. And I think to shoot it in silhouette is such confidence. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderfully played out. And the way the camera just works on them, you know for a fact they've not been directed in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the camera follows it. Yeah. And it yeah, feels you documentary. You get that sense. Yeah. And it's not like it's not staged. It's just very natural in its, its approach. That beautiful shot when he first gets stabbed and he leans back and there's that huge lens flare as mm. if he's seeing, you know, the light of heaven or mm. whatever else. It plays into all of these really big supernatural tropes. And it's just so beautifully realized and so wonderfully done. And the last thing that I'll touch on is that when he's talking to Benicio, he always plays the game where are you going to blink first? Mm-hmm. He plays yeah. this blinking game all yeah. the way through it. Mm-hmm. And he plays it with the audience. At the very end, you're scared to blink when mm-hmm. you see him sat there. Mm-hmm. It comes from his shoe all the way up, and you it's the length of time it's on his face. It holds for so long. Yeah, you're scared to blink. You're scared to blink. You're scared to right. And he's playing that with the audience. He blinks, and then he drives off. Yeah. And I think that's just a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. The violence was specifically staged in the film, which is why we don't see anything of the altercation between Bernie and the driver. It's just in shadow. Yeah. yeah. And Refn also said... You have to know when it's right to show the violence and when it's better to use shadows. Shadow allows the viewer to use their imagination more, which then allows them to generate deeper emotions than just revulsion. Yeah, yeah. agree with that. Mm. Yeah. You, like we've talked about, like we've said on many episodes, mm. you generate your own conclusions yeah. and the own images in your head. Mm-hmm. It's ballsy to do that at this point. In 2011, it it's mm-hmm. ballsy to do that. Considering what we've already seen in the film. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm going to wrap it up for me with it just with this ambiguity at the end is he going to live is he going to die and this kind of music just fading in is this representative of his final thoughts and his final wish which is to be (laughs) he's tripped to heaven he's tripped to heaven i just want to drive away yeah um and i did mention shane early so i'm going to come back to that because that is such a huge influence on this film particularly this bit because if you haven't seen it it's a western from the 50s about this mysterious drifter who rides in a town and he comes to the aid of a farmer and his wife and they've got a young son with it being threatened by film. Cattle Baron. It is. It's a really good film. Yeah. He wants mm. the land. And in the final gunfight, he kills the bad guys. They've got the kind of relationship that Driver and Standard do, where Standard can't really stand up for himself that much. Okay. It's very similar to that. But Shane, he does get injured in the process, and the film ends with him riding off into the valley, and the young son is just crying after him, you know, come back, Shane, come back. Mm-hmm. And the whole ambiguity is... Well, is he alive and just wounded, or is he dying in the saddle as he rides mm-hmm. off? Has he, has he actually died and the horse is just yeah. going on its way? Yeah, you know, yeah. it never yeah. addresses that, which is obviously what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. You know, because you think, well, it's a belly wound; he's he's unlikely to survive that. Yeah, but, it's going to bleed out. Yeah, surely, but the ambiguity just stops it being completely depressing. Mm-hmm. And the, there's there's two great touches here. I love the fact that he just leaves that bag full of money in the parking lot next to Bernie's yeah. body. Just it's tainted, that, isn't it? It's yeah. tainted, and that's his message yeah. to the mob. There you go. This is yeah. what you wanted. I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing for me, it's just that shot of Irene knocking on his door and then just turning yeah. and walking back when she realizes he's not there and they're yeah. looking like devastation on her face. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. He gives her the phone call as well, which I always forget about. Yeah. Yeah. So like, can I just talk to you? Like, I've got to go somewhere. I'm not sure I can come back from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is beautifully done. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a really, really satisfying ending. Mm to a really incredible film. Mm. Yeah. 
reception and awards. Critical praise started prior to Nationwide release in September 2011. At the Cannes Film Festival in May of 2011, lips were flapping furiously enough to create a word-of-mouth buzz about Drive, helped in no small part by the 15-minute standing ovation it got, and Reffin also went on to win Best Director Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. They always do these massive ovations now, don't they? They love it. They do. No matter what the film is. I've never stood up and applauded a film in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a balance, though, because I think there were boos after Only God Forgives. Well, I'm not surprised by that. (laughs) I love that film. Actually, Reffin had visited Cannes the year before in 2010 to seek funding for this film. Film District snapped up the distribution rights without seeing any footage. They love the concept. Nice. Mm-hmm. I think Goslin being on board would have helped that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah massively. Definitely. When it finally opened in the States, the reviews were awash with superlatives for Reffin's work. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone named it his favourite film of 2011, saying that Reffin is a virtuoso, blending tough and tender with such uncanny skill, and that it was a brilliant piece of nasty business. <laughs> nasty business. Mm. <laughs> like risky business, but nasty business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that bit was just in pink. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just the nasty and pink. Yeah. (laughs) Empire also listed it as the best film of the year, saying, about as much shamelessly disreputable, stylish, ultra-violent fun you're going to have at the movies this year. There you are. Why not? Boom, right up my street. And Roger Ebert, out of four, what do you reckon, fellas? I'm going to go 3.5. Maybe went against the grain, 2.5. Oh, Westy, you've got it on the money. He said, Drive looks like one kind of movie in the ads. And it is that kind of movie. It also is a rebuke to most of the movies that it looks like. <laughs> Unpick that sentence. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And on that note, in October 2011, a lawsuit was filed against distributors of Drive by a woman from Michigan. Her claim was that she was misled by the trailer and thinking that Drive would be a high-octane action film <laughs> instead of a cerebral slow burner that we get. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Who, in their right mind, that is not the film that I anticipated yeah. from the trailer. Lawsuit. <laughs> Who does I that? I would have done that about 700 times. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. That's what trailers are supposed to do. Fucking hell, of course. Entice you in. Did you like it? No, it wasn't what I thought. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly. We've got your money, so. Yeah, fuck off. Joke's on you. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm going to sue you. Yeah, crazy. The world's gone mad. But despite the lawsuit, which didn't go anywhere, Drive was successful at the box office. Not up there with the big hitters, but on a $15 million budget, it returned $81.4 million worldwide. It's a beautiful thing for $15 million, mind. It is. It is. This film. Yeah, it still stands up. On IMDb, now it has a score of 7.8 out of 10, and on Rotten Tomatoes, a rating of 93% from critics, 79 from audiences. I thought it'd be lower than that, if I'm honest. Mm. From audiences. Yeah. Oh, really? Just because it's polarising. Mm. Drive success at Cannes was not replicated domestically. It picked up a solitary Golden Globe nomination for Albert Brooks and a solitary Oscar nom for Best Sound Editing. Albert Brooks posted on Twitter, I got robbed in capitals. I don't mean the Oscars. I mean, literally, my pants and shoes have been stolen. (laughs) (laughs) He's fucking hilarious. I'm sorry. Great. (laughs) Wonderful sense of humor. And if we're being honest, there's no surprise that it didn't get much during awards season. It's not everyone's tastes. No, it's not an awards film. No, No, it's not. With more violence than dialogue. I mean, you're not going to get best picture, are you? Yeah. But still, its power to shock and inspire awe still remains 12 years on. Yeah, definitely. 
All the Right Movies ranking. We're sitting down for our final face-to-face at the Great Wall to unpack our summary of Drive and give it marks out of 10. Mm. Matt, would you like to go first? Mm-hmm. Great, great film. Mm. Gosling elevating this character with minimal dialogue and without ever explaining either who he is or why he is. You know, why is mm. he that way? Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Brooks, fantastic bit of casting and brilliant support from the likes of Mulligan, Perlman, Isaac Cranston. I love the soundtrack. Love the general vibe and how it ties everything up in a very neat and tidy about 100 minutes, even though it does have this ambiguity yeah. to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and referring, bringing everything together with this real panache. So it's one of those films where I can't really fault any of it, but yeah. I think for absolute top tier marks, it lacks one of two things I maybe would get it there. It isn't a film I could describe as being important in a general kind of cinematic sense. Okay. Didn't really, you know, completely reinvent a genre or really truly announce a new way of filmmaking or a new person. Okay. And the other thing, and this isn't the fault of the film at all, it just lacks the personal connection that, for me, would bump it up a bit. I got you. You know, that's an entirely subjective and personal thing because this is no way of knowing which films are going to get you like that. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it's a great film, but it's not a favourite and honestly, that's all I can say uh-huh. against it. Everything else is so good. So it's a 9.5. Oh. But it's still massive, though. It's still, still massive. massive. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's a great huge. film. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like I say, it's just not an all-time favourite. That's fair enough. Well, this film makes me feel something. Uh, it's more of an emotional film than anything because it, there's not that much dialogue to hang on to. So it invokes yep. emotions through images. It's exhilarating. And it puts you on the edge of your seat. I started to feel like... I was in a dream. It's almost hypnotic, yeah. where it just kind of grabs you and, and mm-hmm. keeps your keeps your gaze. You can't look away from it because you're desperate to be in that world or understand what's happening. I was really blown away by it. Coming back to it for this show, I really was. Oh, nice. Mm. There are two moments that stop at getting full marks, <gasps> and I know I'm being harsh. Okay. I've mentioned them already. Yeah, but thematically, I feel as though the driver should die at the end. That's his fate. He's been wearing it as a badge on on his back. Mm. Then you've got that song "Outside Nino's" by Katina Ranieri. It's a great song, but I feel like it it doesn't have a life inside this film. Right. Personal choices. I know. Nah, totally I know. fair enough. Yeah, that's what it's about, isn't it? So a couple of slight issues, but it's a magical, magnetic film, and it also gets a nine point five out of ten from me. Okay. And, I mean, that should have been a, a positive. But Westies, you've seen to take this in the negative. <laughs> of course, me taking anything into the negative. <laughs> no, what? Oh, come on. <laughs> Check your sources. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've got hundreds of hours of material. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're my sources. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Westies. So okay. your summary and score for Drive. My summary and score for Drive. It's everything I love about a film. Mm. And the time that it came out was everything I needed from a film. Mm. This delivers on every single level. And for what you guys don't like it for, I think I'll like it for because it goes there and it does them things. Mm-hmm. And I I don't have to like everything about it. I appreciate everything about it. So it's 10 for me. Yeah. I mean, that, that was nailed on the wall from yeah. the get-go. Of course it was. Yeah. yeah. Our fourth and final score, our faithful followers on X, formerly Twitter, mm. have been voting yeah. in their droves. Before we get to the score, we've picked out some pearls of wisdom from those who voted. Should and it was- be interesting. As you would expect, polarizing. Mm-hmm. So I've got two sides of the fence here with the comments. Wonderful. Okay. First side of the fence, Carl Sargent at Carl Sargent said, stunningly original with top draw acting performances, a beautifully directed film with a perfect ending. 
One of my favorite films, 10 out of 10. My side of the fence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think both mine yeah. and Matt's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't quibble over half a point. <laughs> no, half a point. No. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Nicola Dodds at Nick Dodds. She said, it's a nine from me. Eight for the film, 10 for the soundtrack, so an average of nine. One That's of my favorite yeah. films. Okay, nice. Cool. Yeah, very nice. And then we'll just slip under the other side of the fence, and we've got Dave Power at Tromover, who said, one, it was like watching a long advert. For what? Cars. <laughs> Not justifying that with a response. And hamsters.screenplay at hamsters screenplay said, vacuous shite. Perfect for the audience that claims it as a cinematic masterpiece. That's fair enough. You're mellowing in your old well, age, you know, ham- Hamsters for courses. <laughs> <laughs> and to balance it all out, we've got a comment from MJ at MJ Van City, who simply said, Albert Brooks, end of review. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, that works for me. Fair enough. Fantastic. Yeah. So out of 10, what do you think Drive scored on X formerly Twitter, fellas? Eight. 8.5. Ooh. Matt, Mm. it's Miller time. You ended up with a respectable 8 out of 10. Right. Okay, there we go. Mm -hmm. Not surprising, as it isn't to everyone's taste, and I can completely understand that it isn't. I can understand. This but... shouldn't appeal to me, to be quite mm. honest. <laughs> yeah, but it does. It That's does. the thing. It really That's does. the yeah. thing. Which means that overall, Drive scored 37 out of 40, which is a very high score. That's a really very high, high score. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Very good. You can see where Drive ranks among the other films that we've talked about on our classic podcast. You can go to alltherightmovies.com forward slash leaderboard for that. Join us again on All The Right Movies in two weeks. John Westy and myself will be giving you suspense, excitement, and adventure on every level as we go all the way to the top of the Nakatomi Tower behind the scenes on Die Hard. Your loss is my gain on that one, Matt. It should be a blinder. <laughs> it's fine. Just when you're caught, I'm just going to be lying back earning 20%. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Very good. By me. Wonderful. Very good. <laughs> Great. Our most recent Patreon exclusive podcast is on two Steve Martin <clears throat> classics. And that came out last week. Yes, it did. The three of us here talked about planes, trains, and automobiles and dirty, rotten scandals. Mm-hmm. Another yep. one-sided affair, so sign up quick to find out which one was our favourite. Yes. I'll bet you can't guess. <laughs> I have no idea. And you can listen to that right away by becoming a director's chair to your patron. Yes. So please sign up if you can. Yes. We would much appreciate it. We would indeed. Definitely. As mentioned at the top of the show, you can also get access to all of those podcasts mentioned and more. Have a say in the films that we cover and the scores that they get. It's patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. You can also buy our podcasts individually on our website, all the right movies.com. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts for the Classic Podcast Archive. A lot of options available. So please choose one of them. Yes. Almost too many. Yeah. And please keep up to date with us on all social media. On X slash Twitter, we are at AT Right Movies. We post all day, every day, great interviews, behind the scenes footage and images. Yep. We often post extensive making of movie threads. And like our podcast, all of our thread info comes directly from the cast and crew, straight from the horse's mouths, or definitely. is corroborated by at least three sources. So mm-hmm. please keep checking back regularly for more. Yes. Yeah, definitely. On Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies. On TikTok, we are at All The Right Movies. Join our Facebook group. We are a friendly bunch with some healthy debates going. Yes. Yeah, some wonderful debates. Yep. 
We are on YouTube. Our videos are fantastic. They go up every week and include the three of us here and John. Great stuff, so check it out if you haven't already. Subscribe mm-hmm. to the channel and like our vids as well. That always helps. Yes, yes, please do, guys. And if you love what we do on the podcast, please spare a bit of time and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars is our favourite. Mm-hmm. A few moments out of your time to lighten up our day, if yes. you wouldn't mind. Yeah, That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. Put some on our chops. Um, we talked about this on the 28 Days Later podcast and we had a bit of a laugh about just say they were great or great guys or what a bunch of great guys or something like that and somebody actually did put a five star review and just used our words for the review <laughs> no way yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing <laughs> fantastic so whoever you were thank you yeah, for that brilliant yeah thanks and our website with loads of great movie features is alltherightmovies.com a lot of bits a lot of ATRM bits to get your teeth into mm-hmm, definitely well I think this thing has gone on long enough do you see any reason for it to continue? Not really. I mean, I would no. have chopped about 20 pages out of this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, I probably will in the edit. Yeah, of course you will. <laughs> Mostly my shit, but I'll see you later. <laughs> so that is a wrap on Drive. We're off to rob a pawn shop in the valley for toothpicks. Yep. Yeah, and give them to children. <laughs> <laughs> Come back for Die Hard in two weeks. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thanks, yes, guys. thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Adios. Kind of like action films, sexy stuff.